to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. What? If you like your doctor, you will be able to keep your doctor. What difference at this point does it make? If you're looking to make sense out of what's going on in the world today, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to Southern Sense Talk Radio with your host, Annie, the Radio Chicky Bellis, and featuring Curtis C.S. Bennett and the most interesting guests that you'll find anywhere on Internet radio. And you can join the show and let your voice be heard by dialing 917-889-3675. So sit back, relax, and remember, Southern Sense is Common Sense. food shortages, supply chain breakdowns continue to have a domino effect on everything, especially food production. Farmers can't plant as many crops now because of fertilizer shortages, forced regulations, and of course, high fuel prices. This will cause more painful food shortages when we run out of the food we're eating now. You know, food takes time to grow. So when farmers don't plant, well, months later, we don't eat. That's why you need to prepare for an increasing number of food shortages. And the best way is to invest in ready-hour emergency food from My Patriot Supply. It's a perfect hedge against skyrocketing prices and shortages. Right now, save $50 on a four-week food kit from My Patriot Supply. Go to preparewithsouthernsense.com and get your $50 savings on a four-week emergency food kit that average over 2,000 calories per day. That's preparewithsouthernsense.com. Those who know what's coming are getting prepared now. Well, if you don't want to type in that whole big thing saying preparewithsouthernsense.com and you're on my website, which is Southern Sense, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense, as in commonsense.com, you can easily click on My Patriot Supply and go directly to the website and get your $50 savings. As I'm telling you now, those who know what's coming are getting prepared right now. Shouldn't you? Prepare with southern-sense.com. That's 
southern-sense.com. Click on My Patriot Supply. Do it now. And welcome back to another adventure here on Blog Talk Radio with Southern Sense. Also live on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, YouTube. Yes, back on YouTube. Just click for Southern Sense. Go to our main webpage, Southern Sense. Put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. You can watch us on the video or just simply listen to us up on Spreaker, iTunes, iHeart. Oh, you name it. There's half a dozen places we're on out there. I'm your hostess with the least mostest, the radio chickadee, Annie, along with my deplorable co-host, Curtis C.S. Bennett. (laughs) Good afternoon, Curtis. Good afternoon. How you doing? Oh, we're, I'm hanging in there. We've had a lot of last-minute <clears throat> changes in our lineup today. I mean, including I up to an hour before we came on air. Um, wow. We're going to be starting off with the CEO of a brand-new uh, browser that you can download onto your smart device, onto your computer. It is designed specifically for conservatives. It's called Tusk, T-U-S-K, as in elephant tusks. Uh, Tusk, P-U-S-K, Jeff Berman, uh, he will be joining us. And Paul Manafort, everyone knows Paul Manafort, the, the Trump campaign aide who ended up being sent to prison uh, all on a political witch hunt. He is the author of a new book that blows it wide open, titled Political Prisoner, Persecuted, Prosecuted, But Not Silenced. He will be joining us. Uh, then we have Michael Letts. Uh, He's a law enforcement professional and CEO and founder of Invest USA. It's not an investment firm, folks. What he does is he provides a ballistic vest to first responders. We invest in our law enforcement and first responder community. Um, We had a last-minute change-up. Two of our guests had to reschedule. Uh, Fred Lucas, who is with the Heritage Foundation Daily Signal, will be with us next week, not this week. Uh, he had a last-minute emergency about two hours before we went on air. But we will have Scott Shera. He is um, the founder of Our Amazing Grace. Now, the story he's going to tell and what happened to his family and to his daughter is just heart-wrenching. So he will top off the uh, rest of the show today. So we've got ourselves a big, heavy lineup here, Curtis, and uh, a lot to do today. A lot to yeah. do. Yeah, I just want to know if um, this free speech-based browser is it more like um, Twitter or is it like Facebook or is it just a search engine? It is a regular web browser. Just, just like any other web browser, like Chrome, DuckDuckGo, um, Internet Explorer, it's a web that's, browser. That's what I was getting at. But it yeah. is designed for those that of us that are conservative, and uh, it's amazing. It really is amazing. So we'll be talking with him on that one. <clears throat> yeah. So that said. Those I want to welcome everyone that's here listening on in the chat room here on Blog Talk Radio. We have it open over on uh, Facebook and YouTube as well as our homepage. So you can go to any one of those and be able to message me 
That's if I pay attention. <laughs> that's the mm. that's the if. <laughs> Paying attention. But everyone that listens to the show knows that we start off each and every show with a de- dedication to a fallen hero. And today's dedication is going to go out to Sheriff. Sheriff, I'm sorry, I'm having a little bit of trouble speaking today. Hmm. All right. Sheriff Deputy Darren Almendarez out of Harris County, Texas. His end of watch was Thursday, March 31st. And let me pull the pages up. And this is coming from the thepolicetribune.com, <clears throat> Fox 26 out of Houston, and the Dignity Memorial Obituary. And let's pull up the slideshow. <clears throat> and the first reads, Harris County Sheriff's Office, Deputy Darren Almendarez died in the line of duty on Thursday, March 31st of this year during a shootout with three suspects who were allegedly trying to steal a catalytic converter from his vehicle, according to investigators. Harris County Sheriff Ed Gonzalez said the incident occurred near the intersection of Aldine-Westfield Road and FM 1960 at approximately 8.40 p.m. that night. Deputy Almendarez, 51, was off duty and shopping with his wife in preparation for his sister's birthday party just prior to the incident. They were walking out of the grocery store when Deputy Almendarez spotted three suspects trying to steal the catalytic converter off his vehicle in the parking lot, according to investigators. He told his wife to run, to get away from danger as he put himself in harm's way, to protect the rest of the community and to try and stop a crime, Sheriff Gonzalez told reporters. The sheriff said the deputy confronted the suspects, at which point at least one of them allegedly pulled out a gun, KHOU reported. Deputy Almadares struggled with the suspect and attempted to disarm him before he drew his own weapon. Deputy Almadares was fatally wounded during the ensuing exchange of fire. He shot two of his attackers, but police were still searching for the third at the time of this writing. Deputy Almadares was a fighter, Sheriff Gomez said, according to KPRC. He was a warrior in every sense of the word. The deputy was rushed to a local hospital where he succumbed to his wounds. The two suspects he shot took themselves to a hospital, and which happened to have been the same hospital the deputy was taken to, and were taken into custody. Both had been listed in stable condition at the time of this article. Deputy Almadares served with HCSO for 23 years and was assigned to the agency's auto theft division at the time of his murder. The sheriff said the veteran deputy spent a portion of his life homeless, and working in fast food service before he decided to to devote his life to serving his community. Deputy Almadares was doing what he did best the night he was murdered. According to Sheriff Gonzalez, he was out there fighting crime. And the HCSO Texas Twitter feed shows Deputy Almadares. Caption reads, meet 
auto theft investigator, Deputy Almaderas, with used car buying tips. If a price is too good to be true, it probably is. The public VIN on the dash should match the VIN on the door jam stickers. And he advises to meet in a safe public place like a police station. And following that, they post, with heavy hearts, we mourn the loss of Harris County Sheriff's Office Deputy Darren Almaderas, an agency veteran of 23 years. He served in our auto theft unit for the past year. Our thoughts and prayers go out to his wife, children, his extended family, colleagues, and friends. And from Fox 26, by Carolina Sanchez. And she writes, Family, friends, and brothers and sisters in blue are bidding the final farewell to fallen Harris County Sheriff's Deputy Darren Almaderas. Visitation and funeral services were held for the deputy at Humble First Assembly of God, located at the 1900 block of FM 1960. His family had a private visitation at the church for an hour before they opened to the public. The funeral service featured testimony from Sheriff Ed Gonzalez and two of Deputy Almaderas's sergeants, but it was his wife, Flor, who provided very emotional eulogy about the love they shared in their relationship. She drew laughs when she joked about he was a fraud to the county because he wasn't bilingual. She said he would call her to ask how to say certain words in Spanish, including firearm, which he incorrectly called firework. But it was the last moment they shared as he confronted the men who killed him that gripped the room. Your last words to me were, wait right here, babe, coming out of the store, and then you disappear on me. Then you said to me, run, babe. I couldn't leave, couldn't turn away from you. I walked away, and your next words were, call 911, babe. And then I ran to you, and your next words to me were, I love you, babe. I can't breathe. She held him one last time before paramedics arrived. I don't eat, she said. I think since Thursday I've had six hours of sleep. The daughter Andrea followed, sharing some of her fond memories of him, including, including one about his fear of heights that drew laughter. So we all know that he was afraid of heights. He was so afraid that one time we went out to the carnival to get on the Ferris wheel. He wouldn't go with me, so he made me go with a stranger, Andrea recounted. She said she was grateful to be his daughter. I'm glad I got to spend 14 years of my life as daddy's girl. Following the service, police honors were rendered outside, which included a flyover. A procession escorted the fallen deputy to the burial at Brookside along the East Ex Freeway. And from his obituary, it reads Deputy Darren Almaderas graduated from Austin High School and attended Houston Community and San Juanico College. Darren attended the Harris County Sheriff's Office Police Academy Class B1 99 
and graduated in 1999 and later earned his Master Police Officer certification. He had a great 23-year career with the Harris County Sheriff's Office, working as a patrolman in District 3, a field training officer, a certified instructor. He was an investigator for the multi-agency gang task force, which included the Federal Bureau of Investigations and as an auto theft task force investigator. Darren made the ultimate sacrifice doing the job he loved, serving the citizens of Harris County and protecting his family. Darren once said, I'm not going to say I'm the best, but I am dang good at what I do, and I'm proud of it. He really was the best. Anyone who ever worked with him would agree with that. Darren would go the extra mile to help a victim get justice or just lend a helping hand to someone in need. In his free time, Darren enjoyed saltwater fishing, traveling, barbecuing, working in his yard, woodworking, and he was a football fan cheering for both the Houston Texans and the Dallas Cowboys. Darren met Floor in 2010 at the East Aldine District Meeting, and they later married. Darren was an avid animal lover who cherished his fur babies as well. Nico, Bambi, Dale, Pippa, Stella, and Petunia. Darren is preceded in death by his father, Abraham Almaderas Sr., his brother Abraham Almaderas Jr., and two rainbow babies, one lovingly named Nicholas. Those left to cherish his memory are his wife of eight years, Flor M. Zarazosa Almaderas, Andrea Almaderas, and Kayla Rios, his son Danny Rios, his mother Mary Helen Martinez, five sisters, three brothers, numerous nephews and nieces, and numerous extended family members, and of course, his brothers and sisters in blue. Today's show is dedicated to Deputy Sheriff Darren Almadaris. It is also dedicated to all of the brave men and women out there that serve as first responders, be they law enforcement, firefighters, or emergency services. It is also dedicated to the brave men and women who serve in our military from the birth of this magnificent country to today and into our hopeful future. We dedicate to them this song by my friend Todd Allen Herndon. My name is America. May God bless I need you. 
others gave it to me. They believe in the virtues I stand for, my respect for humanity. Now I'm challenged by tyrants who envy my power, but they're vicious deep. Uh, just go to the name of the show, put a dash in the middle of southern-sense.com. I'm your hostess with the least mostest, Annie, the radio chickadee. So howdy, along with Curtis, my deplorable co-host. Oh, Curtis, this is this is going to be one of those days. Just just put a fork in it. Just just I'm done. <laughs> put a fork in me. I'm 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 done. <laughs> oh, Curtis, it helps if you unmute yourself. Let's get Curtis unmuted. Oh. Hello, Curtis. <laughs> <laughs> You did an Annie. Yeah. <laughs> I'm telling you, well, what I had to do was um, I had to log off and log back in so I could get the chat room. So I got that back, fortunately. So I didn't have it initially. But I wanted to be able to communicate with our chat room pals. Yeah. Well, to let people know that if they had read the uh, description yesterday, they'll see it's a little bit different today. Uh, we had a couple little changeovers. Uh, we were supposed to have uh, Craig Huey on. Um, for some reason, he backed out last minute. And then um, Fred Lucas from the Heritage Foundation uh, last minute today had an emergency that he had to back out. He will be with us next week. That we do know for sure. He is scheduled to be our Heritage guest next week. And next week we'll have Mark Tapscott back with us also. So um, we're booking right now starting up two weeks ahead of time. That's, that's how far ahead we're going right now, which is good for us. 
very, very good for us. I want to welcome everyone here in the chat room here on Blog Talk Radio and those that are joining us over at Facebook as well as YouTube. And, yes, I managed to get another page open on YouTube, but shh, don't tell them because <laughs> they shut me down again when they figure it out. <laughs> yeah. But that's all right. That's all right. Yeah. We'll, we'll get ourselves going. We will get ourselves going. Um, there's a lot to we talk about. Do. Yep. Yeah, well, there is a lot to talk about here going on. And um, we, you just had the primary down in Florida. And if everyone remembers last week, we had a surprise call-in guest, someone we did not schedule, just surprise call-in, Colonel Calvin Wimbish. He won his primary, folks. You helped put him over the top. Thank you. Um, a lot of people oh, yeah. that we've had on the show running in Florida have made their primary seat. Uh, where I'm, I'm glad we can give him a hand. Some didn't. And lots of them did. But you know who had a really good track record on your primary? Your Governor DeSantis Curtis. Out of how many did he endorse? I think he endorsed 30 of them. Yeah, 30 candidates. And out of the 30, 21 of those candidates won. Four will be in runoff uh, races, but five did lose. So you have another four possible. Bring that win up to 25, possibly. And so what you're telling me 25 he, out of 30. He has um, coattails people can ride in on, like Trump. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. That's yep. good. Um, yeah, we sadly, we were in the news for another another um, event here in Florida. Um, matter of fact, in the city that I live in, Lockton, we had a 61-year-old postal worker that got mauled to death by some pit bulls. Um, her postal truck broke down, and I don't think she was in an area where she had good signal, so she tried to walk, I guess, to get a good signal was attacked. So just go to shows. Um, you know, you may wake up and um, leave the house that day, but it doesn't mean you're coming home, you know. And we have to all be, you know, vigilant, especially uh, in areas where people may have uh, – I don't want to call them exotic dogs, but dangerous dogs and things like that. You know. But that that was a sad thing that happened here. Well, you should always be aware of wherever you are. You know, and it's funny because a lot of us, especially if you're walking with a smart device in your hand, you're so busy with your head down and your smart device, you're not aware of your surroundings. That makes you a perfect target for someone. So, folks... If you're walking into the grocery store, going to your car, just whatever, leave the smart device in your pocket. And if you do need to take it out, stop. Don't keep on walking. Take a good look around you before you open that device and answer the phone call or text or whatever it is that you want to do at that moment. But take a look around you to make sure you're in a safe spot. Too many people walk around with their face buried in the smart device and... They get themselves into trouble, and that's that's a sad, sad truth. So, you know, be situational aware. And if you do have dogs that can be considered dangerous, you know, you need to make sure they're secured in your yard or a pen or somewhere, you know, because I think these people are going to get charged, the owners, for this woman's death. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, pit bulls are an unusual breed because once they clamp on you, they, they don't let go. 
They don't let go, period. Yeah. I yeah. mean, and we don't. We usually don't have that kind of thing happen here in Tulakin, Florida. You know, just a nice, quiet, you know, people go fishing and type, you know, we have parades and things like that. Almost like that movie, Doc Hollywood, with um, my boy, um, I can't even think of his name now. Michael J. Fox. Back in the future. Yeah, yeah. You know, nice little quaint town. Everybody gets along and stuff, and then this happens. Yeah. Michael J. Fox. Yeah. Yeah. The Canadian who doesn't like the United States too much. <laughs> Unfortunately. Yeah. What that was. No. Anyway, uh, we're waiting for our first guest to call in. Um, I did not get a phone number for him from his agent, so hopefully he will call in on time. He should be calling in very shortly. Um, he has a he has created a new web browser called Tusk, and I've downloaded it on one of my computers as well as my um, phone, and it's designed specifically for conservatives. So a lot of the cons- a lot of sites. Uh, if you try to search for them, like in, say, for example, Chrome or Google or something like that, they won't come up at the top of the list. They usually come up at the very, very bottom after you scroll through several pages. So if you're looking for One American News or Fox or Newsmax or something like that, yeah. it won't be at the top of your search engine. But on <clears throat> Tusk, yes, it will be. It will be. Yeah, it won't be buried mm-hmm. on page 99. <laughs> So if you want your your information to come that is conservative news, that is actually fact-based news, not like uh, CNN or MSNBC or Yahoo or MSN, you want real, true news that you can sink your teeth into. Uh, Tusk seems to be the web browser to use. So um, a number of years ago, I switched over to DuckDuckGo because it helps protect your your um, privacy. A lot of people have. But DuckDuckGo also does restrict their search engine. And a lot of times I have to go to something else to find what I'm looking for. That's so true. even that, even that, it, it, it restricts you. So we're waiting for our guests to call in, in in the interim. But there is a little good news here. And this was from Zach Budrick on the thehill.com. And it looks like a Louisiana judge issued a permanent injunction against the Biden administration's moratorium on new oil and gas leasing on federal lands. Uh, He did this last Thursday night. This this was done actually back in um, April, and this is something that uh, no one's talking about. uh, So what does that mean? Well, there were 13 states that sued over the order, the Biden administration order, and it included Alabama, Alaska, Arkansas, Georgia, Louisiana, Mississippi, Missouri, Montana, Nebraska, Oklahoma, Texas, Utah, and West Virginia. All right. So basically they said the Mineral Leasing Act and Outer Continental Shelf Lands Act the only people that can pull that is Congress. The president cannot, by executive order, pull those leases. Only Congress has the authority to do that. So it looks like 
bit by bit, court case by court case, um, we're starting to pull our constitutional rights back and begin to limit government once again. So So, does that impact the pipeline that he blocked? Or that's a separate um, issue? That's separate. That is a separate issue. Yeah. Yeah. So... Now all we have to do is um, get the courts involved in letting Biden know he's not a dictator. He can't just broadly, you know, forgive everybody's student loan. What's that all about? Oh, that we're going to be talking a little bit later on about that. Yeah. Um, You know, if, if, if you forgive some student loans and not all, you know, how do you then turn around and and explain that to people that, that worked hard, did the right thing, worked two jobs yeah. at times, and paid their, their loans. loans back? How do how do you justify? Are they going to get that? reimbursed? No. No. No, not at all. I'm trying to see if I can get uh, our guest, his agent to uh, find out what's going on, because I don't care. Okay, well, I'll talk a little bit. Yeah, I went through college, and um, at the time I had a scholarship, I had a grant, and I had a student loan. And every penny of that student loan I paid back over, I think it was like 14 months and uh, I got it paid. I didn't feel like I was entitled um, to the point where I didn't feel I had to pay it back. Uh, it was just part of, you know, um, take care of business. You know, you, you, you take out a loan, you pay it back. But that doesn't seem to be the mindset of um, young people these days. It's like, you know, I want everything free because of the fact that I feel entitled to it. Um, I'm a minority. I was oppressed, oppressed, and um, they need to make up for that so I don't have to pay it back. Or they don't really need the money. These companies are super rich and they're bilking us for all this money and things like that. So, you know what it is? It's it's, it's the mindset that I am privileged. I didn't ask to be born, so now you owe me. Well, hello, I don't think any person in the world asked to be born. We didn't ask to be born into whatever situation we were born into. We did not have a choice. I mean, God placed us in a certain place at a certain time. Mm -hmm. And then it's up to you to be responsible for what you make of it. And they're taking away personal responsibility. So it's easier to blame the Twinkie. It's easier to blame the hot coffee. It's easier to blame something else instead of taking personal responsibility. And that's the difference. I mean, there's there's a lot of people out there that were responsible. Now, I didn't take out a a loan to go to college. I tried to get a grant, the Pell Grant, but my brother had taken it and only allowed one Pell Grant per family. So I ended up working two and at one point three part-time jobs to pay for my college tuition. I did it. I went to college, but I remained debt-free from that. A lot of other people are just, well, no, 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 I have to get into that ivory college, that, that 
big-name college and get my master's degree in basket weaving. Well, and guess I felt what? good. Go ahead. Uh, I just got a message from his agent. Uh, all right, our guest, uh, Jeff, Jeffrey Berment, uh, has COVID, unfortunately. Our prayers go out to him. Um, they felt that he was going to be well enough to be on the show today, and obviously he's had a bit of a relapse. Uh, so our prayers oh. go out to him. So um, unfortunately, it's it's a fact of life. Oh, yeah. But what I was going to say I, is I felt good having paid, you know, my loan back. You know, I did my civic duty, and um, I was, you know, obligated to do so, and rightfully so. Um, what ticks me off about today's generation some of these kids go to college for six months and then they drop out and still want somebody to pay their loan back. They don't even get an education. And I don't think that's right either. Yeah. Well, how do you determine whose loan you're going to pay? They're paying back some of them. So how do you make that determination? I mean, and again, what do you do for the person that worked hard, was responsible, paid their loan back, how, what do you do with them? How do, how do you explain that it's okay for someone who's too lazy to work to repay the loan to, to someone who's working hard to repay? They're looking at class, level, and race, the color of your skin, and that's how they go about things on the left. Doesn't that violate the Civil Rights Act? We're all supposed to be treated equally, irregardless of race or race, religion, gender. Under the Civil Rights Act, isn't that illegal to do, to determine based upon someone's race or gender or ethnicity? But they'll tell you there are exceptions. Hmm. We have to make up for slavery or something like that, you know, the economic environment they were raised in. You know, some some victim-type excuse. You know, <laughs> I mean, if they're going to find an excuse for anything, what this, this administration is doing is tearing the country apart. They're pitting one group of people against everyone else. If you can make a victim... You make yourself a voter, and you get yourself elected forever. Now, there was uh, something up on Newsmax last night. There was a gentleman who confronted Elizabeth Warren at an event, and he, he was upset, visibly upset. And he said, listen, I took out a student loan, but I worked two jobs. I worked real hard. I raised a family while I worked two jobs to pay back my student loan. What do you say to me? What do you say to someone like me that did the right thing, was responsible? What do you say to me? And she had no answer for him. She had absolutely no answer for him. <clears throat> and that man was visibly upset. Yeah. They get tongue-tied and speechless when you ask some rational questions expecting a rational response. 
No. No. But since uh, Jeff Berment is not going to be with us, I just want to let people know a heads up on this new web browser called Tusk, T-U-S-K. And there's a link on our show page that if you click on it, will take you to his page, which is tuskbrowser.com. I'm urging you all to check it out. Um, What they wrote to me about it, explaining what this was, let me just get out of what I'm doing here. Okay. Uh, Many Americans feel that the Department of Justice is being used as a political weapon, with a raid being ordered by a partisan individual who has a personal axe to grind, while at the same time not investigating serious crimes that may have been committed by Democrats like Hunter Biden or Hillary Clinton, etc. Trump seems to have been making all appropriate, reasonable accommodations to cooperate with any inquiries, making this sort of raid something which may very well violate the Constitution. Many mainstream media outlets may give a biased and inaccurate depiction of these events, meaning it is important that reliable sources of news are not unfindable for many people who are seeking answers. Unlike other browsers, Tusk is the first one ever to have zero censorship. People are able to prioritize the conservative or other news they want to see and obtain the information they seek without interference. Now, Jeff would have talked about how important it is that American people and onlookers around the world are able to get a fair and accurate reporting of one of the many shocking attacks on the constitutional rights in public memory and why we need to be concerned about left-leaning technology companies who seek to uh, manipulate the, the general public with biased news and information sources. Now, Jeff Berment is a patriot who loves the United States of America with all of his hearts. That's why he's putting his money where his mouth is in founding Tusk. That's tuskbrowser.com. After graduating from USC with a major in history, he founded one of the largest real estate development groups in Santa Barbara, California. Before his passion led him into the digital world of browser development with products like Cocoon VPN and Cocoon My Data Rewards. He's an entrepreneur with over 13 years in the field of browser development, combined with his deep love of America. He is the right person at the right time in history to affect change. So most web browsers, when you go into them like Chrome or Google or whatever, uh, they use an HTTP protocol. Well, task forces sites to use HTTPS connections when available, protecting your data from prying eyes. And these encrypted connections on both the client and server sides ensures data security over the network, especially public networks like Wi-Fi. Now, if anyone notices on our website, My Southern Sense, it is an HTTPS. It is not an HTTP. So that when you go onto my website, again, what you're looking at or whatever is protected. So this is what we would have been talking about why he's done it, what the purpose of it is. But unfortunately, COVID knocked him for a loop, so we're going to put him aside, and hopefully he can join us next week 
and talk about this. Yeah. So. Hey, we we had another another victory for freedom in this country. I don't know if you heard about it, but uh, Washington D.C. Superior Court judge ruled that the mayor of D.C. and her vaccine mandate for city workers were unlawful. So, I think even in the Democrat, you know, whole cities, they're starting to wake up and they're fighting back, you know, some of these, these mandates that are, that are coming out of um, government at the federal and at the state level and city in this case. So that's good. That's a good ruling. Yeah. Um, there was also a positive ruling, I believe, for the Air Force on certain members that sought uh, exemption. And yeah. I think... More and more people are challenging this mandate. And uh, there is something coming out that children under the age of 13, they have a 30% chance higher of having an adverse reaction. The group of people that have the least amount of reactions are 13 to 18-year-olds. But still, I question the, this vaccine um, because they have nanobots in it and a lot of these vaccines are created using fetal cell uh, fetal cells you know aborted baby cells so there's and there's not only that question. they haven't had long term testing no 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 and I have a very dear friend of mine uh, had had the, the vaccine got COVID anyway but there is a huge lump on his arm that has been there for months from where the injection site is. Now, I'm sorry. I don't recall ever getting a vaccine that caused that bad a reaction on someone. And we're finding a lot of people are having adverse reactions, especially if you have a heart condition. So vaccine mandates, this is, this is really scary. Matter of fact, um, there was that tennis player, and he was a Wimbledon champion, that just canceled coming to the U.S. Open here in, in, not here, in the U.S. here, up in New York. Why? Because he is not vaccinated, and they won't let him in the United States. But we'll let illegal aliens cross the border who are not vaccinated and, and bust them anywhere in the United States they want to. But you've got a world-class Wimbledon champion tennis player. And they will not allow him to compete in the U.S. Open because they won't let him in the country because he's not vaccinated. You've got to be kidding me. If I were that guy, I would be saying the same thing like you just said, you know. Here I am. You know, I'm going to bring economic, you know, prosperity to the area that I'm coming to to play. And you won't allow me to because I didn't take a vaccine yet. You allow all these illegals to come into your country. And um, they're, if anything, they're adding to the burden, economic burden of the uh, cities that they're going to. I'm telling you, if I was in them, I'd be proclaiming that every day, loud and clear, have a press conference. Yeah. I mean, you got to remember, what was it, Australia, that actually put people in quarantine camps? Um, it, it, they, they've gone a little bit too far, and I think the rest of the world wow. is starting to push back. 
not those dreaded camps like from the concentration camp days. It's just like the world's getting back to that. Well, we will have a guest later on in the show, Scott Shera, and we'll be discussing a lot of that with him. Um, So I'm just trying to see whatever else I got here in the news. And uh, ah, it's a shame that we're having problems with getting guests today. But, uh, hey, defecation occurs. Uh, One of the things we wanted to talk about with Fred Lucas was about this huge um, Inflation Reduction Act, uh, which has green energy subsidies and health care programs, which nearly double the size of the IRS. Now, we talked about this last week. They got, what is it, 23,000 agents, employees or whatever. They're adding 86. Thousand more, more than almost triple, almost triple the number, close to tripling in size. And they arm in that agency. Well, it's going to be seven hundred forty billion dollars in new tax revenues that the bill will uh, will Require. will affect all of us. And you know, here we go. Um, there's four Republicans did not vote who should have voted no. But there's four Republicans that did not vote on this bill at all. Jerry Carl of Alabama, Mike Gallagher of Wisconsin, Greg Pence of Indiana. Pence, Indiana. I'm wondering if he's a relative of Mike Pence. That'd be interesting oh, to find oh. out. Mike Rogers of Alabama. So that is a very, very good question, Greg Pence. Let's take a quick search in Tusk and see what we come up with. And using the Tusk browser. All right. Yeah, I'm going to download that. All right. uh, Let's see. Uh, Truth about, and he happens to be Mike Pence's brother. Yeah, I don't Pence believe it's coincidence. He is Mike Pence's older brother. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, here, this is this is what we love. This is the hypocrisy of of rhinos. All right, this is an article from in, 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 the Indianapolis Star from Caitlin Lang, and yeah, he does look like Mike Pence a lot, and he's the older brother, mm. and. Greg Pence was among those Republican members of Congress um, who have criticized President Joe Biden's decision to waive $10,000 in student debt loan for millions of borrowers, despite his ties to a company that had thousands of dollars of federal loans forgiven itself. The Pence Group LLC, the name associated with the Pence family's antique malls in Edinburgh and Bloomington, was loaned $79,441 in July of 2020 under the Paycheck Protection Program, the PPP program, intended to help businesses continue to pay their workers during COVID-19. Unlike student loans, the PPP loans are intended to be forgivable if certain criteria was met from the start. The government forgave $80,180 worth of loans and accrued interest for Pence Group, LLC. 
The value of the two malls is between $5 million and $25 million, according to Greg Penson's most recent financial disclosure report. Uh, the brother of former Vice President Mike Pence was slammed by some on Twitter after he criticized the student loan forgiveness plan on Twitter, saying it would punish countless hosiers by forcing them to foot the bill for someone else's agenda, which is what we've been saying all along. We, you and I would end up being ones to pay back the student loans for people that are irresponsible. Um, the White House Twitter account also shamed other Republicans who, like Greg Pence, had criticized the student loan forgiveness despite being a recipient of the PPP loan forgiveness themselves. Most notably, Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene as of Friday afternoon. Uh, let's see what further goes on to say in a statement by Indy Star. Penn uh, said Biden was comparing two unrelated issues. Wait a minute. You're taking out a loan you're accepting a loan and you're allowing it to be forgiven so you're not going to pay back that loan. So how is that different from someone taking out a student loan and expecting it to be forgiven and not pay it back at all? Interesting. Yes. Very, very interesting. Very interesting. But I'm not surprised. Mm Mm-hmm. Wow. All right. Well, that was going doing a search on Tusk. So, eh, very, and very you interesting. Say, you say he's a senator or rep? A representative, congressman. Okay. Wow. Yep. Yep. So I guess uh, the Pence brothers are two peas in a pod. <clears throat> <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I would well, say so. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's a little uh-huh. bit of hypocrisy over here. All right. I'm going to be um, calling our guest here soon. So we oh, yes, yes. Can hear Paul Manafort is our next guest, guest up. So, yeah, give him a give him a shout soon. And uh, this is something Fred mm-hmm. Lucas would have discussed with us about this, uh, this bill that brings in 87,000 new IRS agents, and he puts down four points. The current IRS workforce includes 78,661 full-time employees. So Democrats' legislation, when passed, would more than double the agency's employees. So I was incorrect. It was not 23,000, 76, almost 79,000 full-time employees. So 87 more than double. All right. Hmm. Open the Books reports uh, under a title of The Militarization of the U.S. Executive Agency shows that the IRS Criminal Investigation Division has a stockpile of more than 4,600 guns. 4,600 guns. Stockpile. They they arm in these uh, agents. Yep. This stockpile includes 3,282 pistols, 621 shotguns, 539 rifles, 15 fully automatic automatic firearms, and four revolvers. Four revolvers, interesting. They have 3.1 million rounds of ammunition in reserve. They had 1.4 million for rifles, along with 
uh, over 36, uh, 360,000 shotgun rounds and 56,000 rounds for automatic weapons. Now, you got all these weapons in the hands of the IRS. However, his point number two, uh, the IRS National Criminal Investigation Training Academy has the responsibility to implement firearms training and related qualification programs nationwide. However, they have failed regularly to stay up to date with training or to report incidents of improper firearms use. (laughs) So they've got all these guns in the hands of people that are not properly trained. That's that's really heartwarming. Uh, Now, these IRS agents have more unintended discharges than intended ones. Because of poor training, they have more accidental firings than intentional firings, according to a separate Inspector General's report. You know, these, uh, these are men and women that have the authority of using deadly force against an individual with a firearm, but they're not trained to use the firearms. And that, that gives me real confidence in our government. And uh, a Senate Finance Committee held investigative hearings into IRS abuses in 1998, um, and they have a history of armed raids. And that's really also very heartwarming. Uh, There's a testimony from a Virginia restaurant owner that said that armed IRS agents with drug-sniffing dogs burst into his restaurant during breakfast hours and ordered the customers to get out. The agents took his cash register and records. Uh, when he returned, he found the door had been kicked open and his residence had been raided, his personal residence. A tax preparer from Oklahoma, from Oklahoma gave similar testimony, saying that 15 armed IRS agents came to his business and harassed his clients. And then there was a Texas uh, oil company owner that said, Agents came to his office and told employees, remove your hands from the keyboards and back away from the computers, and remember, we are armed. Oh, I'm loving this government more and more. Uh, Washington reported that at the time that Democratic and Republican lawmakers alike expressed dismay. Well, I would be surely dismayed. So we have um, armed IRS agents that are not trained properly, being increased by almost 50%, by more than 50%, by this new Inflation Reduction Act that does nothing to reduce inflation, and they're armed to the teeth and coming to a home right near you. I am really, really, really thrilled about this one. And Curtis is attempting to get our next guest in on the line, and hopefully he's successful here. Hmm. Just pardon me, my throat is going a little sore. Doing a radio show and I'm losing my voice. So folks, this is what we got going on for today. Uh, Unbelievable. Uh, So hopefully we're going to have our next guest coming in very shortly. So Curtis... Let me know if he is here, and we will be happy to bring him up. And Curtis can do this. 
Now, um, I don't know if many of you get the Newsmax magazine, but if you subscribe to Newsmax, you get their magazine. There is an interesting article by Selena Zito, and this is in the August edition. Uh, it's under Backtalk, which she writes that under the Biden administration, our social fabric is unwind, unraveling. And she writes, law-abiding citizens in this neighborhood, meaning the one that she's in, <clears throat> which is, I believe, in Baltimore, uh, she writes, black and white say they don't understand where their peace of mind, quality of life, safety, and respect, respect and dignity have to be sacrificed so that clever Democratic machine politicians can continue to ignore the massive drug problem nearby. She writes, the political class does nothing it allows massive flow of people across the border with many courses tied to cartels. President Joe Biden has weakened the actions of police forces across the country and attempted to address the drug crisis by emphasizing harm reduction. Criminals know that the consequences of their actions are no longer what they used to be. Uh, President Joe Biden, uh, let's see what else she writes here. The result of this is systematic killing of American spirit not just in the neighborhood, but in cities, neighborhoods, and suburbs across the country. It changes how people socialize, send their children to school, and view government institutions and politics. This ugly reality will affect the elections this fall probably far more than the political class understands. Why? Because they never take the time to walk down a street like Cedar Avenue and ask how it is going. More importantly, they take for granted that they will always have voters they have always had, never realizing that most people have a breaking point. Curtis, um, excuse me. Let me see if if I can uh, try to see if I can get a hold of him on my end and go ahead and fill it for me for a few moments here. Okay. Will do, will do. As I was saying, we we had our primary uh, this past Tuesday, the 23rd of August. Um, We had two weeks of early voting. And could you believe the last day there were people still coming in who were coming in like two minutes before we were to close. Some people came after and it's like, wow, back in the day when I was growing up in Philadelphia, there was one day and one day only to vote. And, I mean, if you stood in a line that was three blocks long, you just had to do it. Now you have early voting, and people still wait to the last minute to come to vote. So I, I don't know what to say about our society today. Um, most people took it as as a, a civil of a duty to perform, and they took pride in it. Um, now we get like maybe 30% turnout or something like that, and you have to have to wonder, you know, how how can we go on like this with 30% of the, the, the citizenry being interested in who we who we put in our office? And I bet it's the other 70% that's always complaining, but they don't go out and vote or get involved in politics. So, I mean, that's work with what we have to work with. 
I'm really looking forward to uh, November so we can take back the House and the Senate and at least, at least slow down some of these policies that are coming out of um, Washington. Um, I'm, I'm not too, too, too concerned about the executive orders because they don't really have any legal teeth. They're not really binding. The next president can change it. But um, the stuff that's coming through Congress, um, it, 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 we have to slow it down if we can't stop it. And then we'll deal with it in 2024 when we reelect um, Trump or whoever is going to follow suit. And that's what I'm looking forward to because, like most Americans, we're, we're tired of going to the grocery store and and you come out with three items that you pay ten dollars for, and and the gas is like triple what it was the last day Trump left office. And you just don't have a lot of choices, and there's constant attacks on our liberties and freedoms every day. They seem to be shrinking, and uh, like I said, by the day. But thankfully, as I noted earlier with, with Annie, we're going to court, and I believe that a lot of these judges that Trump appointed at the federal level are the ones that can, can ring in some of these, these unlawful and unconstitutional policies that's coming out of the, the Democrat wing of Congress and those uh, rhinos who support it. So we, we, you know, we need to stay positive and vigilant. I mean, that's the only way I know how to go forward in life. I come across too many people who are down on the party, when they really should be down on the party leadership. I don't see anything wrong with the brand. It's just the leadership. And that's anything, even if you take a corporation like Disney, you know, under Walt Disney, it was a wholesome company and it was a fun place to go. Now, under these, these um, um, lefties from Hollywood that have taken over, Disney uh, Enterprises. You know, we, we have social experimentation going on, and uh, it's not so wholesome as it used to be. So do we blame the Disney brand, or do we blame those who are headed? Because just like um, in Washington, there's nothing wrong with our republic. It's the leadership that's put presiding over it. So we have a... Uh, I, I don't even like to call this guy president, but we have a guy in the White House, and the world opinion of the United States under this guy is that we're a, a laughingstock. We're weak. So do we throw away the, our, our country? No. We engage leadership. And we get somebody in there that they respect and fear to an extent, and that will bring us back to world prominence as a leader um, of democracy and freedom. Are you back, Annie? Yeah, I'm back. I'm sorry. I just tried uh, calling, no success. Um, I just got a deadline. There was not even a dial tone. Excuse me. Um, So I sent a text to him and to his agent to see if maybe he can call in before we're done with this segment. But 
I really did want to talk to him because this book is interesting. It really breaks wide open everything that was going with the Russian, uh, the Russian hoax. Uh, the Ukraine opens a lot of this stuff wide, wide open. Hmm. I don't know why I'm losing my voice today, <clears throat> so pardon me. <clears throat> Yeah, I was kind of like that at the beginning of the show. I went to talk, and it's like, <clears throat> I had to well, meet. There's, there's a lot of, of stuff. One of the things I wanted to talk to him about was about the Mar-a-Lago raid, because there's a oh, lot yeah. of stuff that's coming out about that one. And uh, they, Trump aides think that maybe there was a family member that informed the DOJ of where specific things were in the Mar-a-Lago because they went looking for a specific uh, leather-bound case. Now, only a family member, it appears, would know where this case is. A Trump and ironically, Yeah. Ironically, the person who I think is the, is the blabbermouth, the whistleblower, is pointing the finger at Jared. Jared Kirshner. Now, we've seen how Jared Kirshner has been a trusted advisor to President Trump and has helped him in many ways rather than hurt him. But this other family member has gone out of her way to hurt him, and that is Mary Trump. I'm just my sense of, of feeling that maybe she might be the whistleblower. And to take the... Um, Suspicion off of herself, she's pointing the finger at someone else. Very interesting. A lot of things are coming out every single day about this, this Mar-a-Lago well, raid. It's, it's my understanding that um, 12 o'clock today, some judge ordered some things to, that were, um, I guess, redacted to be unredacted. I don't know how that went, though, but there was a court order. Well, some of the redaction is remaining. Those are the things that have uh, deal with witnesses um, and law enforcement members. So those names, I can yeah, understand having them redacted. That's to be expected. But there were other parts of that that they had to 12 noon today to release to the public. So I, I didn't have a chance to follow up on that. Uh, we'll so have to do, t- take a look at that. But... Um, there's a lot of questions about the constitutionality of this search warrant. And we have a guest later on. That's if we get all of our guests to show up. <clears throat> that uh, we're going to be talking about that, among other things, that is going on in the law enforcement uh, community. But, mm-hmm. uh, I'm w- reading some of this stuff. Uh, my answer, uh, Bob Hope asked what zombies were all about. Uh, oh, there's a, there's a famous Bob Hope. Uh, I used to play it a lot originally. Um, what the what, what heck's the name of that movie was? I can't remember. But he, he asked, uh, someone asked Bob Hope, do you know what a zombie is? He go, oh, you mean a Democrat? <laughs> <laughs> he said that? Oh, man. Yeah. It was oh, a line wow. in the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wasn't, yeah. He, wasn't he a good friend of Reagan? Uh, they're all they Hollywood actors, I would assume so. Yeah, I, yeah. I would imagine so. Yeah, I uh, met Bob Hope before. I had not had the pleasure, no. No, I had not, but you had. 
That was the what on one of the yeah. USO tours. Mhm. Mhm. He was he was well known. He was good for that. Very very good for that. But it looks like uh, we have to see if we can reschedule Paul Manafort. Because he's yeah. not. He's also a no show. Oh well, we're, we're batting a thousand here today. Once ah. they raided his home again, second time. <laughs> hey, these guys oh, don't quit. They do not quit no. the Democrats. I no, mean, they no, they don't. They go third impeachment of Trump. If they could impeach him five times, they would. Anything to damage him. Yeah. Well, you know, as it turns out, um, this is from Eric Woods Erickson, an article he wrote that I'm telling you, the, the, the things that are coming out now. He writes, since Donald Trump's, Trump's election in 2016, the media has breathlessly reported Russian influence in the election. It was Russia, 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 Russian hoax again. This is one of the reasons why they went after Trump, you know, because the false narrative that was carried as if it was truth, the lies that were spun by the left and by the Russians themselves, they they had fun perpetrating this against the Trump administration because they did not want him in because they knew that he would be a powerful president. And wait to see what they're going to try to do with Ron DeSantis if he throws his hat in the ring. Holy moly. Um, he writes, Democrats have insisted Russia stole the election. Many have claimed the Russians worked through conservative groups to get Trump into office. Now, an unsealed indictment suggests the Russians are funding American political groups. It just so happens that the groups are all left-leaning. An unsealed federal indictment is from Florida. All right, a judge in Florida. It alleges a Russian named Alexander Viktorovich Ironov had been funding political groups in the United States on behalf of the Russians. According to the indictment, he had the groups publish pro-Russian propaganda as well as other information designed to cause dissension in the United States and to promote secessionist ideologies. He goes on to write, Give the media's fury about Trump and Russia. You might be surprised to learn about this indictment. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution, AJC, covered the indictment because one of the groups involved is in Georgia. Understanding the groups involved explains why you have not heard a lot about it on various news outlets or the front pages of Trump-obsessed newspapers. One of the groups is called Black Hammer Party. Described by the AJC as a radical group, the Black Hammer Party advocates murdering police officers and believes a violent overthrow of the United States is necessary. In 2020, the Black Hammer Party claimed it had an alliance with the Proud Boys over the 2020 election and a shared belief it was stolen. As the AJC reports, according to the indictment, Ayanov, who lived in Moscow, paid members of the Black Hammer Party to travel to San Francisco to protest, um, to San Francisco in March, to protest Facebook's censorship of posts supporting Russia's invasion of Ukraine. The influence went so far as to direct Black Hammer members on the designs of signs for the protests. Another group involved is the Uhuru Movement, which is a socialist group in Tampa, Florida. 
That group has agitated against capitalism, claiming capitalism has been the parasitic to Africa. It is tied to the African People's Socialist Party. It turns out if the indictment is to be believed that the Russians really have been funding American political protesters, just like the media said, the only problem is that the groups being funded are black nationalist socialist movements, not Trump supporters. To be sure, it is only a matter of time before we find out the Russians have funded right-wing extremists and environmentalists too. The KGB in the 80s funded environmentalists and anti-nuke peace protesters throughout the West. The tactic is nothing new. The bigger story here is that after years of the media telling us that this was happening, the indictment has not been a national story. Undoubtedly, had the indictment revealed a direct connection from the Russians to the Proud Boys or some clearly Trump-affiliated group, we would never hear the end of it. But like shootings in Chicago, if it involves non-white actors, the media prefers not to make eye contact with it. It is, in fact, not just a political double standard, but a racial one as well. Media bias is often what the media chooses not to cover. The indictment, when unsealed, made news briefly, but has largely been forgotten. Given the nonstop hysteria about Russia and Trump, it is highly likely the media would constantly invoke the Russian connection if it involved groups, if the involved groups were Trump supporters. There's another angle to the story that should be considered. Back in 2020, as Antifa and Black Lives Matter stormed across American cities, there seemed to be a level of coordination. In some pockets of protests, the protesters showed up more organized than local police expected. Rumors began circulating that perhaps some groups were getting organized funding. While dismissed as conspiracy talk, the unsealed indictment sure suggests that this is plausible. What we know for sure are two things. First, the Russians do appear to be funding American political agitators to sow discord and secessionist ideologies. Second, the media would be fully invested in this story as a recurring narrative if the two groups named in the indictment had been on the right side instead of black nationalist movements. This is from Eric Woods Erickson. Hmm. Wow. That's interesting. Yeah. To say the least bit. Very, very interesting. <clears throat> so, hopefully very soon our next guest you do have the phone numbers for the next guest in case he doesn't call in, because we do have at least oh. 10 minutes left if Paul Manafort does yeah. decide to call in. Yeah, I got my but, uh, Yeah. So, <clears throat> again, we'll put this aside to see if we can get him rebooked a second time. Anyway, well, but it's, it, it, it's, to, it's interesting that uh, yeah. the media is not reporting this unsealed indictment. It says, yes, there is Russian collusion, but it's just not exactly what you think it was. But the media won't talk about it. 
because it doesn't sell their narrative. Oh, yeah. And, and something else came out recently about, I don't know, so, how many billions of dollars is missing. But um, and, and, and it was reported by the Secret Service. But the Biden uh, White House is saying that, uh, oh, this is old news. It's nothing new. You know, it's nothing missing and this and that and the other. You know, talk about scandal after scandal. $900 billion, that's a lot of money. That's not accounted for. And uh, mm-hmm. just have to wonder what, what else is going on that we don't know about. I'd like to know what they're planning for the elections uh, coming up in uh, November. Um, here in Florida, we were so, uh, I guess, conscientious about what happened on the last time that every mail-in ballot box had to be indoors at the precincts for election, and a person had to sit there guarding it the whole time we were open. They could, if they left to go on a break, another poll worker had to take their place and sit by that drop box. So, you know, nobody got away with cheating, at least at that point, you know, where people come to vote. Now, what happens after the ballots leave the precincts, that's another thing. But we ensured that any mail-in stuff were, were put in the drop box and um, they they were guarded by uh, a worker, and we had some poll watchers there who were watching us. So you know, I wish every state was like that. You know, no cheating, no dropping uh, mail boxes outside. Nobody's taking care of them, watching over them, like in the movie 2000 or documentary 2000 Mules, where they were just stacking them with focus um, ballots and things. So I feel comfortable that at least here in Florida, we had a, a, a good a good um, midterm uh, primary, and um, I doubt if you find any anything that was a, a miss. Well, there's, there's certain states, ours being one of them, uh, that have tightened uh, up the uh, voter integrity laws, which is good. There you go. I mean, no election is going to be 100% perfect. That's impossible. I mean, you're dealing with human nature. If there's a way to cheat, someone will find a way to do it. Hopefully, it'll be few and far between. But our primary went pretty smoothly. Now, what we're seeing with this rank voting in Alaska, uh, it's, 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 I'm not sure if I like it. I, I don't think I like it at all. And I don't like the fact that they, they've given illegals a uh, driver's license. Because that's all that's required in most of these states to, to be allowed to vote. You know, you register and you show a photo ID, and they have it. Nope. Nope. Uh, we're not playing that here in Florida. You want to vote, no. you want to become a citizen. And that's the way it yeah. should be. We want, yeah, we want yeah. the world deciding how we are run as a country? No, but we I, can't I do, do that with 
I do believe the New York State Supreme Court ruled that issuing voter IDs to non-citizens is against the Constitution, their Constitution, the state Constitution as well as the U.S. Constitution. You have to be a U.S. citizen to vote. So, you know, trying to blur the lines with the motor voter ID, uh, motor voter ID is not going to work. Well, that's good news. That leaves us California. Well, I'm just, I'm just, bear with me, folks. So, I, the agent for Paul Manafort just texted me. I apologize for the disruption. Just letting him know that no, we did not get our guest, and uh, we tried calling three times, and that didn't work. But uh, we've got just a couple of minutes before our next guest comes on. So I apologize. This is not our normal fast-paced moving show that we normally have with one guest after another. For some reason, it's I got a black cloud hanging over my head today. Today is not Friday. What's it? Twenty six. No, that's Friday 26. the thirteenth times two. <laughs> Maybe that's what it is. Friday the thirteenth times two. It makes it the twenty sixth. Just batting a thousand today, folks. Just, just you have those days every now and then. Every now and then, get one of those days. But uh, fortunately, we do have enough to talk about with what is going on out there. And uh, having this indictment, uh, talking about the Russian collusion with the left, it's important that we talk about it so the word starts getting spread out there. You know, it's got to be a bucket brigade, a bucket brigade of truth. So. Pull up the articles that I'm talking about. You know, don't be afraid to share them on your social networks. And uh, that one about the, the Russian probe, you'll find that one under Eric uh, Woods and uh, Erickson, E-R-I-K, no, E-R-I-C-K-S-O-N. Um, he has he has this. Where did he, where did he put this one in? Um. It's Eric Erickson's Confession of a Political Junkie, and you can probably pull it up there uh, and read the article yourself. But uh, this has to be, you know, hey, we know that the raid on Mar-a-Lago was a political ploy. It was a, in a sense saying, we, we can do this to the President of the United States. We can do this to anyone. It was a massive fear tactic to cow anyone and everyone out there that wants to use their independent voice and get the truth out there. And it, that's exactly what they want to do, stifle the truth. Now, question whether or not uh, the attorneys were present. As I understand, there were two of Trump's attorneys present on the property, but were they allowed to view and verify the documents that were being removed? We can't tell. But we do have success, folks. We actually really do have success. We do have our next guest in on the show today. want to welcome back onto the show Michael Letts, and he is the CEO of Invest USA. It is a company, a 501c3 nonprofit, that provides ballistic vests to first responders. Welcome to the show, Michael. How are you today? It's always an honor. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate what you're doing for getting the word out to America. Now, 
Uh, we, we've talked before in the past. You've been on a, sh- a member on the show uh, a couple of years ago. Yes, I, I have to apologize for not mm-hmm. getting you back. But I forgot, oh, where sorry. was it that you were a Leo at? South Carolina. We have I know. served as state council in Columbia, Columbia, South Carolina, ah, capital city. That finally, that finally elected a Republican mayor. We're proud of that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Dan Rickard is a good friend and... He's been doing a great job. He really has. Yeah, I haven't been up to Columbia in a couple of years, so maybe we'll see after McMaster's gets uh, reelected. Maybe if I make it back up there again. Actually, uh, I drove for the spring in ceremony. Ah, ah. Actually, um, I was there for um, Mark Stanford. I don't know why I just could not remember his name uh, because his brother lives out here with us in the low country and he goes to the same church that I got to and every once in a while when Mark was governor he was coming down to visit his property and his, his mom down here uh, he would come to the church there and you see him sitting on the back pew so he, they can get him in and out real fast <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm laughing um, and Mark still was a little while back it's been a few years mm-hmm. but then uh, he lost yeah Mark has been a few years yeah yes. he lost his uh, marbles he lost though. all of them <laughs> I'm gonna say I think you lost all of them. <laughs> yeah, because um, when they were voting to make uh, Boehner the uh, Speaker of the House at one time, I was texting him back and forth, you know, telling him don't do it, don't don't vote for him, don't vote for him. And he texts me because you don't understand, these deals are done behind closed doors and they're done weeks in advance. And it's like I can't believe he actually sent me that text. I really don't believe you sent me that text admitting that it's a done deal. So anything we have to say just doesn't matter. That's scary. You know, it is scary, and I understand what he's saying. And quite frankly, he was accurate. However, though, you still have to buy by principle. I appreciate what you said. I mean, regardless of whether the deal's been cut or not, you need to vote your conscience. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Now, um, I had a whole mess of things where I mean, where the heck is your picture uh, there you are I know I had you up here I'm just I'm getting the video footage up here right now just so bear with me please I'm a little discombobulated today nothing's been going right it's like Friday the 13th times two so today's the 26th it's twice the bad luck I'm having today <laughs> <laughs> so, it'll get better I mean, it'll get better the day progresses yeah well you know most people you know think of a bulletproof vest or a ballistic vest just for law enforcement and military. But lately, a lot of other first responders, when responding to a scene, be it a fire or an aided case or something like that, they now are under attack just as viciously as if it would be a police officer. So these vests are needed not just for law enforcement, but for all first responders, correct? That is correct. I'll give you a few examples. There in the Charleston area, we had three EMS workers who were killed because they got on the scene first before law enforcement arrived. In New York, we had nine firefighters who were shot. Uh, We lost a number of them in the line of duty. Same circumstance. They arrived on the scene before it could be cleared by law enforcement. So we are getting requests from all over the country from both firefighters and EMS asking if we could assist them with uh, active shooter vests that they can have just in case they get on the scene first. Yeah. And 
there, I've been reading articles, especially firefighters have been coming under heavy, heavy attack. I mean, here they are responding to the scene of the fire, um, and they're there to save lives, to help rescue people, but yet they're being fired upon, things are being thrown at them. And I used to see a little bit of this back in the 80s in New York City when we would have that and we'd have to cover their backs. But now we're seeing it nationwide, which is scary. It really is. It shows where we are at as a country. And that's the scary part about it. You know, whether it's a firefighter's badge, a local state law enforcement badge, a federal badge, it shows that there is no respect for the authority and that they've been vilified. A lot of that has to do with the defunding the police movement, things along those lines. Some of it's brought on by ourselves because of the fact that they have politicized federal agencies. You know, the FBI is just a mess at the moment. And uh, when people see a badge, they don't differentiate. So when they see all the negative about where they are going after particular segments or advancing a political narrative, they take it out on everybody. And that's a real shame for those who are trying to do their job every day. Michael, if you can bear with me, we had a guest that should have been on the show prior to you. I just want to bring him on very briefly, uh, introduce him to the public, because if anyone knows the wrong side of, of standing on the wrong side of a badge is this man. I want to welcome onto the show Paul Manafort. Good afternoon, Paul. How are you today? Good, thank you. I'm sorry I'm going to come to you late. I was doing another interview that just ended up. It went over, so I apologize. <laughs> well, we'll have to have you come back on so we can go in depth and talk about all the things we wanted to talk about. You have a new book that was just released uh, this month called Political Prisoner. Persecuted, prosecuted, but not silenced, which people can get at Simon & Schuster, get it at Amazon and other places. Um, We were talking about the demonization of law enforcement, and uh, Michael Forum, Forum, uh, teeth and backwards, former law enforcement, as well as myself out of New York City, uh, we know what it's like to have people anti-cop. You know, all of a sudden, we're the evil devils. But when we have federal agencies that go overboard, like we're seeing with the Department of Justice, the FBI, uh, now IRS persecution of us during the Tea Party era, and now new 87,000 new armed IRS agents coming into the fold, the federal government, the, the, the administration with the federal government has just demonized everything by abusing power. Well, that's right, and if you look at it going back to 2016, and again, the FBI was in the middle of it under James Comey, they got involved in political situations with a one-sided view. Uh, and, and consistently, we have found in the upper management of the FBI uh, that they have shown this prejudice in the investigate, way they conduct investigations. They, they won't open up Hunter Biden's laptop, but they'll, you know, dust off you know, cases that have long since been uh, you know, put, put the, into the dustbin uh, and bring them out because it's against Republicans. Um, and so when the leadership does that, it's incumbent upon the other members of the FBI, for example, to call it out, whether it's through a whistleblowing or whatever. If they don't, they get, they get the stink on them of, of the upper management. And we can't have what our top law enforcement agency be viewed as having a two-tiered approach to justice, that that would destroy 
the credibility. And you're starting to see now in some of these polls, for the first time, the credibility of the FBI is dropping dramatically. Um, and, uh, and that's a very dangerous thing. But they deserve well, it. Paul, we have with us uh, also our scheduled guest, Michael Letts. Uh, he's, like I said, law enforcement professional, and he has a company called Invest USA that provides uh, ballistic vests to all first responders. Uh, and, Michael, this is important now because of situations like Paul Manafort has gone through. Now, how exactly. does the average citizen, exactly. Yeah. Now, when people want to help you uh, get these vests with your 501c3, where can they go to make a donation and to assist? They can go to uh, I-N-V-E-S-T-U-S-A, investusa.org, and they can make a donation to help provide an active shooter vest for an officer. I tell them right now the greatest thing they can do is to improve the morale of the officers out there. They need to know that they're supported because they know the government doesn't support them. You know, Paul was just talking about it, and it is so accurate. I do not know of any liberal cause that they have investigated the way they try to go after conservatives. And it shows a two-tier justice system. That was never what our Constitution was founded upon. And it's a particular strain to the law enforcement officers to be put in that situation to begin with. The job is stressful enough. Make them take political sides, and you've lost all respect and authority. And that's where we're at today. Yeah, well, it was under Clinton that they started to federalize law enforcement agencies by holding the carrot out there. That's what I called. And they would say, well, we, we will give you federal funds if you do X, Y, Z. And with a lot of agencies, they saw this pot of gold out there. So what if they want us to start a community policing uh, section in our department? And once you put your toe in the door, now they can yank that door wide open and control the local police department. And I saw it coming in the 1980s when they started the community policing, and New York City was the poster child for that. Uh, Now you hear community policing throughout everywhere, throughout the the country. This is the new fad because the federal dollars tied to it. So it's it's not just... But it's like you said, there's always a catch. And the federal government, you know, I find it interesting that in this year's current congressional budget, there are $682 million for the U.S. Capitol Police. You notice the speaker, Nancy, came out and thanked the Capitol Police for rescuing them from January 6th and criticized everybody else. But what's interesting in their budget is they are opening up Capitol Police offices around the country. I can't understand the logic behind that since their jurisdiction is only the four blocks up there in Washington, D.C. Makes no sense. This is something that I did not know. know, I've been retired since 96, so I'm kind of like a little out of the loop about that. But, Paul, what what is the actual mandate for Capitol Police? Are they allowed to go outside the uh, D.C. district? No, they are not. But yet they're opening up offices in, in Miami, and I can give you other locations, and nobody can seem to justify why. And this is scary. Yeah. And Paul, we got – all right, here's the, here's the question. Because I watched – you recently did an interview with Chris Cuomo, which blew my mind, honestly. I, I didn't catch the whole entire thing, but I caught parts of it. 
Um, you said that Trump is throwing his hat in in 2024. You were without a doubt about that. Why is that? Well, that's my opinion. He hasn't told me that. Let me caveat it. But, uh, look, Biden has made it easy for Trump to make that decision. I mean, if you look at Trump's biggest successes uh, uh, and Biden's biggest failures by changing the Trump policies, you know, the case makes itself that who is president matters. And, and it matters on things that affect people you know, in their pocketbook and in their home security and their, their national security, all reasons that Trump ran originally in 2015. So in his mind, I think, he views the job as not completed, and he views Biden's presidency as not just an interruption, but also as a setback for the American people. And, uh, and I felt that uh, for those reasons, he would want to finish the job and, and, and run again in 24. Since my life has happened, I think it sort of put an exclamation point on it. Uh, yeah, I think now, even more than ever, he, he wants to rid the country of the, the duplicitous and hypocritical and woke left uh, people running our government and in, in, in effectively uh, uh, stripping the Americans of their constitutional rights. Now, Michael, you and I, because of our backgrounds, we understand the idea of evidence and what is known as fruit of the poisonous tree. And when I heard about the Mar-a-Lago raid, I'm thinking there's going to be a lot of that poison being spread around, which obviously Mr. Manafort uh, experienced when he was arrested. A lot of evidence was actually fruit of a poisonous tree. You want to explain to the audience what I'm talking about with that, with this warrant? Yeah, it's called fishing. It's when they don't have anything that they need to be able to try to pin a charge on someone. So they get a broad search warrant. They figure out an area where they feel like there may be some kind of question. And then they search and just go specifically any room, anywhere, to try to find what they can to support their narrative. That's not the American way. What happens is you are aware with a search warrant if somebody reports a crime, a specific area, Here's where the evidence we believe to be. This is where you're looking for. This is what you go to get. We do not allow in this country fishing expeditions to try to find something to indict somebody on. And that is where we have gotten, which is a two-tier justice system. And it is extremely scary when you have a federal agency with all of its assets that are willing to dedicate them to making sure that you go down. Well, which is what you experienced, Paul, Correct. They just went on a yeah, fishing expedition. Exactly, yeah, that's go ahead. Exactly. What, I mean, the parallels to what I experienced, what's going on in Marlago, are are you know, they're not even parallels; they're just one on top of the other because it's the same playbook, uh, where you know they take a outrageous statement. Uh, Manafort's got to, with the link to Russia and the Trump campaign, and Trump Trump's got national security nuclear weapon documents in his basement. You know, and then they start leaking to their favorite reporters, you know, anonymous source that basically lies in my XBF. And I think we're starting to see uh, exaggerations in the situation. And then those stories get written and they become the foundation. But in fact, the, they're wrong to start with. Uh, and it just gets worse from there. And uh, in, in my case, you know, the Mueller investigation had a very specific mandate, which was to deal with Russian collusion warrant where they did a no knock into my my condominium at six o'clock in the morning 
that basically allowed them to go back 25 years. You know, I was not working for Trump for 25 years. I mean, Trump wasn't running for 25 years. There was no basis for any of that. Uh, but it was, but they were just fishing. Still didn't find anything, but it was totally invasive. Uh, they came in with, you know, 14 or 15 FBI agents with black jackets, guns pointed, not at my do- door, but in my bedroom, at my bedroom door. Uh, uh, yeah, they had penetrated. Um, and, and then for nine hours, went through everything uh, in a five, five-room condominium that I lived in, including my wife's clothes. Uh, like Melania's. So it was very invasive, very beyond the mandate of the Mueller administration, and therefore unconstitutional. You see the same thing with Marlago right now. It is amazing, Paul, and they let the media know ahead of time so that they can further damage your reputation and character by filming it all. That's a great part of what they try to do to you. Isn't it amazing? Yeah, they did the Rod, that Rod Stone. They had trouble doing it to me, though, because I lived on the fourth floor of a condominium, and it was hard for <laughs> CNN to just happen to be walking on that corridor at, four, at 6 o'clock in the morning. So it was a little right. more compromised. But, but CNN had the story at 6.30 in the morning. Gee, just like Roger Stone. Just like Roger Stone. They, yep. were, they were there half an hour early to film that one, I believe, with uh, Roger Stone. You know, the collusion between the media and the Department of Justice left swamp is staggering, and yet it's not reported. And yet we were talking earlier uh, that there was an unfilled indictment uh, in Florida that proves that the Russian collusion, yes, did exist, but it wasn't with right-leaning groups. It was with left-leaning groups, like the Black Hammer. And you don't hear that about that on the media. No, 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 no. You don't hear about that. But it will be front and center in the news the moment that you were arrested or Roger Stone was arrested. Poor Peter Navarro. Oh, good Lord, what they did to him. But what you went through, being thrown into solitary confinement as a flight risk, Paul, when there was really no need for that, the, the use the no, that's right. I mean, by the Department of Justice. I, I was put in, so, you know, you're exactly right. I was put in solitary to intimidate me so that I would cave and give them uh, information that would support Weissman, Andrew Weissman's theories of Trump's involvement with Russia. I wouldn't do it. It would have been, it would have required me to lie, and I wasn't going to lie. Um, and, uh, and they punished me for it. You know, Paul, the question is, how do we hold those who abuse the system accountable? And that's what we're trying to make sure we get. Something has to be done. This is not the America that our founding fathers dreamed of. I think the first thing we've got to do is flash the light on it and expose the corruption for where it is. Uh, and if it's, you know, if it's falling on the you know, rank and file of the FBI, they've got to be exposed. Uh, and, uh, I agree. and then once we've shown the light, we got to fix the system, uh, and and I I think that's going to start to happen. I, I think that this the election this November, and I talk about this in my book. I think it's going to uh, it's going to result in a Republican majority in the, in the two houses that will then not as retaliation, but as part of protecting the Constitution, expose the corruption, and then uh, allow us to win back the White House in twenty four, uh, and then clean out the corruption. So I, I'm feeling good about things right now, and I talk about that in the book. 
Well, can't happen a are moment you right too now, early. Are you shopping it around to see if someone will take the movie rights to it and make the film out of that? <laughs> no, right now I'm just dealing with the books. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, it would make a very, very interesting uh, documentary, or even you know, uh, putting it into a script form where you, an actual someone playing your part, and just wondering who would you choose to play your part? <laughs> yeah, m- m- most most people would think it was a it was a it was a fiction uh, because they wouldn't believe that these things would happen in our country, unfortunately. Well, yeah, no, you're exactly right. But it also led it wide open for it to happen to all the January 6th, you know, uh, uh, the teeth and backwards. I cannot talk today for whatever reason. All those that were arrested for the insurrection on January 6th that are still sitting behind bars without being able to communicate with their family or attorneys uh, with no charges against them still. Yeah, this, that, this is outrageous. I wrote the book. I wrote my book for two reasons. One was to clear the record up because everything about me in the record was false uh, because they put the gag order on me, put me in solitary confinement, and then did this government uh, anonymous sourcing that that convicted me in the court of public opinion long before my trial. Um, But the second reason I wrote it, and really the more important reason, was to send the message that it happened to me, but they're coming for, you know, people out in the, out in the Red America next. Uh, and, you know, I wrote this book, you know, finished at the end of last year, which is, means I got the first year of the Biden administration in my book. And I, and I talk about what to watch for because the people who are part of the Biden administration in often cases are the same people who are involved in the Obama administration but with slightly different titles. And I, and, and I warned, you know, in the book, that we couldn't just watch what happened to me, feel sorry for me, and then just go on with everyday life. There had to be a rallying to to stop the assault on our Constitution that the woke left and the Democrats have been uh, building over the last uh, 10 years. Um, And now you've seen it happen. You've got parents at school board meetings being called domestic terrorists. You've got victims of crimes being considered the criminal. You have uh, IRS agents arming themselves, getting ready to invade the middle America, red American homes. Um, you know, they have a disinformation board, Homeland Security, that they tried to create to stifle any opposition to what they wanted you to think and to, uh, and to punish you as a terrorist if you didn't stop talking about it. You know, fortunately, that fell, you know, fell apart quickly. But when it's a signal of what this government is all about in weaponizing themselves to come after Americans who don't agree with them. And, uh, and so that message is more core to my book than my, my personal story. My, my story just amplifies how it happened to me. It could definitely happen to you. Yeah. The 87,000 new IRS agents going to be going online next year. Uh, more than doubling the size of the IRS. But yet the IRS, uh, and I love this one, Michael, they do not properly train them to use the firearms, and they have more accidental shootings than they have of intended shootings. But these IRS agents will descend upon businesses armed to the teeth and confiscate property, be it records, where's their search warrant? But they're the IRS, and they can do whatever they want. This is scary. And, and, let yeah, we they're, take and they're taking back. the guns away. 
and they're taking guns away from legally licensed people uh, who wanted to defend themselves against the criminals. And it's, uh, you're right. It's, yes. Everything is upside down in this world today. Well, you know, Paul, that's already started. The ATF has just started. It's a uh, search, door-to-door search for weapons that are viewed as parts, or the ghost guns is what they're called. And it's been recorded on TikTok. It's been uh, aired. The uh, ATF got caught doing it before they really wanted it to go public. But that's their next stage is to begin to confiscate our weapons from door to door. And they're going to start with New York and California first. That's amazing. Sure. Thankfully, here in the state of South Carolina, you don't have to register your firearm. But when you do purchase it, you still have to fill out that form. It means the federal government anyway knows that you own it. So Yes, and that's, that, that's what they were doing. Yeah. They're taking a yeah. list of people who have, who have bought parts, and they're visiting them door-to-door and saying, hey, have you put that into a gun, and have you registered it? Gee, and I just Which got some rings uh, in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I tell them, yeah, I use this I use a stock to, for for a scarecrow one time. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I also bought some speed loaders for my off-duty chief. So, I mean, Michael, that, that goes to show how old school I am in law enforcement. I still have my revolvers. <laughs> you still got your speed loaders. Boy, that's, uh, you've been there a long time, that's for sure. <laughs> oh, jeez. I just let my age go away. <laughs> Uh, you you you're just a, a collector. That's what it is. You you don't you weren't actually there at that time. You just collect them. That's what we'll call it. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'll, I'll agree with that. Now, Michael, because of everything that's happened over the last couple of decades, and this does go back a couple of decades, do you see law enforcement, small town sheriffs, and, and things like that? separating themselves from cooperation with federal agencies now with the bad rep that they're putting on the rest of us? There's no question because this is having a devastating effect on law enforcement all across the country because the feds are the ones creating such controversy that most people see a badge as a badge, so they're beginning to vilify all law enforcement. causes us to distrust the feds. I mean, if they will be willing to compromise themselves and lie, you know, they lied on the FISA court applications. They're willing to lie to a federal court. What would they do to us? So uh, it's causing great division among law enforcement all across the country, and that is not good for America. No, it's not. And that's why we've got to get a unifying president to come back in office and kick the swamp out once and for all. Paul, when Trump came in office in 2016, when he was elected, the first thing I kept on shouting on the show and before is that he's got to do a clean sweep. The same way, what was it, um, Clinton, when they, they went in, they took all the uh, keys off the uh, typewriters that they couldn't type the name Bush. <laughs> you know, you have to do a complete sweep, and I mean, from top to bottom. But there's a problem because you've got civil servants in a lot of these positions that are unaccountable to anyone and also unionized. Well, well, yes, but there's still ways to deal with it. They can be reassigned. They can be moved down from other places. There are ways to there are ways to do it. I mean, and, and if Trump does run again and get elected, uh, there'll be a, a different you know approach to uh, how he starts his administration. When he was elected in 2016, he didn't know Washington. He had been a part of Washington. 
uh, and, didn't, and deliberately so. He, didn't, he wasn't interested because he thought it was a cesspool. Um, and, and so when, and then he got elected, the transition was equally you know, part of getting in, finding, building a new government and dealing with the rear action of defending himself against the fake Russian narr- collusion narrative. Um, but now he's got a team. He's got experience. He's got a team that's experienced. Uh, they have a history now of, of well, how to deal in Washington. And I'm confident that uh, if he decides to run, he'll win. And if he wins, uh, he will make a immediate, impactful change uh, in Washington. Well, now, you've you know, got Paul, a match. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Michael. You know, I, I love what Paul said from the standpoint. Never have understood why we have thousands of agents in Washington, D.C., when we ought to put them all across the country and let them do their real job instead of being a bureaucracy. Now, if I remember correctly, at one point, um, was the Department of Interior tried to uh, move out into other areas of the United States? I'm, I'm just pulling something out of the back of my head that I remember from a number of years ago, and they were told, no, you have to stay here in Washington, D.C. So we've we've got one hell of a swamp we've got to, uh, to kick out. Yeah, and, and your memory serves you well. That is exactly accurate what you just said. They wouldn't let them leave. Yeah. Man, well, Michael, people can go and help with getting these ballistic vests to our first responders by going to your website, which is investusa.org. There's a link on the show page so that they can look at the description, click on the link, and go straight to it because I get a lot of hits in the archives on that. And, uh, Paul, there's also a link to your book, which is absolutely fascinating. I, I just loved reading it. Political prisoner, persecuted, prosecuted, but not silenced that they can get at Amazon um, by also clicking on the link that will take them directly to Amazon. It's been put out by Simon and, Simon and Schuster. I told you I cannot talk today. Holy moly. You're doing great. <laughs> I think you're doing great. We're getting the word out, Paul. I enjoy very much listening to you. I mean, it's a uh, lot to be done. A lot to be done in the future ahead. Yeah, there is, and I appreciate the chance to talk to you all today, and I look forward to making up some of the lost time another time. Oh, absolutely, Paul. And I'll, I'll get a hold of AJ and get you rescheduled, and then we can go a little bit more in-depth in the book and some of the stuff that uh, I started marking uh, and highlighting to say I want to talk to him about some of this stuff. Uh, but I'll, I'll give you a hint. My first president I voted for was Ronald Reagan, <laughs> the first term. <laughs> that was a good start. <laughs> yes. This the great not- start. That was my first president, too. Yeah, well, conservatism is in my DNA. And like you, Paul, I grew up Italian Roman Catholic. So forgive me if go. I'm a little nuts. <laughs> well, I well, look God forward bless. to sharing that nutty pass together. <laughs> okay, Paul, it has been a pleasure having you on. And, Michael, uh, thank you so much, and God bless you for the hard work you do. Gentlemen, God bless I look you. forward to having You'll you have both back day. on. You too. Thank, All right, thank Michael. you both. Good talking to you all. All right, Michael Letts, investusa.org, and Paul Manafort, and his book is Political Prisoner. Check it out. It is awesome. And we've got our final victim of the day coming up on the show, and we have with us Scott Shara, and I hope I am saying that correctly. Uh, And he has, let me get my little notes all here, Our Amazing Grace. 
Good afternoon, Scott. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thanks for asking. How are you? Oh, I've been having one of those days where anything that can go wrong does go wrong. <laughs> you ever have one of those? <laughs> oh, I, and yeah, I, I've had several of those. Yeah, today is uh, Friday the 13th times 2. It's the 26th. <laughs> Friday the 13th times 2. <laughs> oh, man. Right, I've never, never heard up. that before. <laughs> all right. I have up here, as I'm pulling up the video, all right, there we go. I have a picture of you, your wife, and Grace. And I also put together a little video that plays that shows your daughter Grace in various uh, things that you have on your page, which is OurAmazingGrace.net. Do I have that correctly? You do. Okay. At least I didn't screw something up too badly today. Um, <laughs> oh, man. Um, you went through uh, what I, I can never imagine anyone having to come through. No parent wants to outlive their child, and you lost your child recently, not too long ago, and she seemed to have been a very, very amazing young lady, and the hospital, I just could not understand. This was a, a Catholic hospital, correct? It was. I would say in name and marketing only, but not in their feet. Well, uh, she was admitted for COVID, and your wife uh, no, was your daughter, daughter Jessica, had the, uh, was the patient advocate. She did not have a DNR, a do not resuscitate, uh, uh, signed or filled out. She, you did not want that, that form to be done. And yet the hospital just decided that, well, she's got COVID and she's not one of those that we're going to really worry too much about. So if she dies, she dies. Why? Because she has Down syndrome. And that, I find, is so, so horrific. You want to tell us exactly, in your words, you know, what had happened and why they did what they did? Well, I really can't answer for sure why. My why is speculation, but the speculation has led me to believe it is because she had Down syndrome. And my daughter, Jessica, was the advocate in the room when Grace died. I was the advocate before before then until they took me out by an armed guard but what physically happened to grace her last day so the official reason she died is covid19 pneumonia and that's not that's a complete lie there's three causes of death that the hospital caused a hundred percent number one is they they put her on a sedation drug called presidex for four full days before her last day presidex according to the package insert, which is the rules they're supposed to follow, is only supposed to be used for 24 hours. Uses more than 24 hours cause acute respiratory failure, which was also listed as a cause of death on Grace's death certificate. So those two causes of death combined, the hospital received a $21,000 bonus just for listing those as causes of death. The first one, the acute respiratory failure, they specifically caused. So that's the first cause of death. The second one is while she was still on Presidex, at 14 times the original dose they started her on four and a half days earlier, they added lorazepam and morphine. 
those three drugs, according to the morphine packages, should never be combined because they're, they're contraindicated and cause death. And if you do use them together, you're supposed to have the reversal drug bedside and monitor the patient. Well, they didn't do either one of those. They put those in Grace's system in a 29-minute window, and none of us could have survived that. That's the second cause of death. And the third one you alluded to, which is the most egregious, is the morning of Grace's last day, the doctor had called my wife and I at home and said, he told us specifically, Grace had such a good day, we should work on nutrition. That was at 8 o'clock in the morning. At 10.56 that morning, he put an illegal DNR order on Grace. Illegal because we didn't request it, nor did we sign it, nor did any of that happen. And when we, when we learned of it was when my daughter Jessica, who was in the room with Grace, called us at 7.20 that evening, an hour and, and five minutes after they gave her those three drugs in combination, we yelled for the nurses to save our daughter. And when we learned she had a DNR, as they hollered back, she's DNR. And they refused to come in the room and, and use the reversal drug. And we hollered to them, she, she's not DNR, save her. They refused. So that, that is the third cause of death and the most egregious, of course. Are you able to prosecute the hospital or the doctor that did the DNR? Um, we're going to find out. We, By God's grace, we've been introduced to Tom Renz, uh, and Tom has decided to take on the case. In fact, I just had a call with him yesterday for an update. They're, um, they're a few days away now from uh, getting the case framed and taking the next step. So I believe there's going to be justice in that regard. I mean, we're not after any money, but you know, to Tom personally convinced me that we should pursue this because we want to stop the behavior, and this is one of the fastest ways we can stop the behavior. You know, we got to get the word out that this is happening. Most people have no idea that this this is the state-sanctioned standard of care in the U.K. using end-of-life meds and doctor DNRs. This is coming to America, and Grace's case is the first one they've been caught, but now that we've got her case out, uh, many people have already contacted us uh, with similar stories. So this is not an isolated case. Uh, and if you have certain underlying conditions uh, and you have COVID, it's going to be the full-blown original Obamacare where care will be withheld if you are of a certain age or have a certain medical conditions. You are now the unwanted class. So, in essence, we're looking at another form of population control and genocide. That's spot on. The number one and number two causes of death of people who entered the hospital with COVID, number one is elderly, number two is disabled. Well, those are not comorbidities. Those just happen to be facts. And those facts do not increase your risk of dying with COVID whatsoever. They set this whole thing up by telling us at the beginning of COVID that those classes of people need to be the first one to get the jab and they're the highest risk. Well, those were all lies. Uh, we, Grace was on, on Medicaid, and so we got a letter from Medicaid. We can put Grace first in line to get the jab. Of course, we rejected that. We were already wise to the jab, and, and so we didn't do that. And, you know, in addition to Grace having Down syndrome, which they mentioned 36 different times in their reports, they mentioned that we're Christian, we're unvaccinated, 
and that we were following the frontline doctors' misinformation campaign. That's how much of a bias there was toward Grace in the hospital. Well, you know, while you were in the hospital with Grace, you yourself contracted COVID. Now, as I remember reading the articles, um, they sent Jessica home telling her to get showered and changed and they, because they didn't want her to catch COVID, but yet you caught COVID and they would not let you leave, right? Yeah. Well, that's a strange that's a strange um, sequence of events because yeah, I I started in the hospital with Grace on October sixth. I caught COVID on October seventh. One of their official reasons for kicking me out on the tenth was that I had COVID, which that was a joke because they're the ones who told me I was going to get COVID. And big deal, I'm there with my daughter. That's what you expect to do. My my daughter, Jessica, who took over for me as the replacement advocate, they so when I was there, they would not let me leave the room, which I was fine with. On Grace's last day, they insisted that she leave the room to take a shower instead of taking the shower in the room. Jessica protested say my you you said to my dad that he had to take a shower in the room and they told her we, we don't care what we said to your dad you've got to go home and take a shower well in the hour that they were gone while well, Jessica was gone in that hour they strapped Grace down to the bed because she wanted to get out of the bed and go to the bathroom they strapped her down made her go to the bathroom in the bed and then used that as an excuse to increase that precedent to a near lethal rate at 10.48 that morning, they had increased the Presidex to 14 times the original dose. At 10.56, they put the DNR order on, only eight minutes later. So the obvious expectation, of course, this is speculation, was they thought the Presidex was going to be enough to take Grace out, and they had to have the DNR order in place in order to do that. The strangest, I just could not believe what you went through and the way that you were treated there was also a time where just, uh, um, Grace was not able to sleep very well because of the alarms to the medical equipment that was in the room. And you asked, just put the alarm on at the nursing station so she can get some rest. But they refused to do that, too. They absolutely did. And I found out, that, you know, they, they lied to me when they said they couldn't do that. And the reason I found out they lied is because I went to a different hospital three days after Grace died and I had the same request that I didn't want the alarms to go off, and they respected my wishes and made them go off at the nurse's station. So I knew, you know, intuitively you know it's possible, right? You're in the hospital, you think, you know, we're, we're in the 21st century. We've already sent a man to the moon. We can make these alarms go off in a different place, but they refused. You know, and they're going off 20 to 30 times a night, and many times it would take them 15, 20 minutes to come in the room and shut them off. Oh wow, I I am so sorry that you had to go through all of this. But from that, you were able to create this wonderful organization, Our Amazing Grace. You tell us about what it is. Oh, thanks for asking. So, uh, the the foundation is now a legal five hundred one c three. We're we're doing three things. Obviously, the the one that I'm involved with is with you right now is getting the word out because we're hoping people will wake up um, as to what's going on and ultimately, you know, and most importantly that they find God in this process of seeing what's going on with our country. 
Uh, number two is, of course, the, the legal piece of it. And the, the third one, which is really why the foundation was, was set up in the first place, was to help uh, kids and their families who are not as fortunate as we've been um, to be able to do neat things with their, their special needs kids especially. So we did our first uh, grant um, of a three-wheel bike to a young Down syndrome girl, same age as Grace. Her name was Angel. She's 19 years old. And uh, so that was our first grant. So she got a three-wheel um, adult bike, and uh, what a wonderful day that was. We we met her and her dad at a bike shop, my wife and I did, and, and uh, got her the bike, delivered it. And as I, I tell the story, which I've been corrected on, when she got on that bike, it was like a, a taste of freedom, and she went like a bat out of hell. And one of the people corrected me and said, well, her name was Angel. Didn't she go like a bat out of heaven? And that's right. <laughs> she flew with angel wings. <laughs> right? it, was, it was just, it was wonderful. I mean, she probably got that thing up to 30 miles an hour. It was just, she had a taste of freedom. It was pretty neat. Yeah. So that's well, what yeah, we're hoping people... for long term after, after the dust settles with the, with all these interviews and the legal case. I mean, I'm expecting that that's what we'll be doing. Hmm. Well, people underestimate those that have Down syndrome, special needs uh, individuals. You know, they have different levels of function, and your daughter was one that had a high level of function. And these these kids, these young adults, or even adults, they are special people. You never see uh, concentration or love shared by anyone as, as powerfully as you see someone that has Down syndrome. Oh, there's no doubt about that. That is, um, Grace, uh, you know, the the extra chromosome is called the love chromosome, and Grace, boy, she got a double portion. She just was, she represented how how God loves us unconditionally, and she did it. I mean, she she was a walking angel amongst us. Uh, she called me earthly dad. She called my wife earthly mom. She got it. She knew what her relationship with her heavenly father was and she she showed it to everybody uh everybody that met grace was touched uh, she was she was an absolute gift you know i think that um you know she was definitely high functioning as you can tell by all the the videos on the website i mean she could she could read and write she could drive a car um so you know, she she deer hunted with me you know she she was my best buddy uh, you know, so you just don't want that to happen to anybody else. But, you know, what's happening with Down syndrome on a big picture basis and why why this, why this I believe this is behind what's going on in the hospital is the young people really don't even think anything of it. 67% of Down syndrome children are murdered before they're born right now in the United States. So when these young people get into a hospital system and they're taking care of my daughter, they really would never have her anyway. They would have aborted her. So they just don't see the the beauty that she brought to to the world. Yeah, that that is the shame, you know, because now you do the testing of the fetus before you know give birth, and they then turn around and say, well, this child may have a heart murmur, or this child may have Down syndrome, blah blah blah, and then they offer them an abortion rather than having them come to full term to see what beauty that and life that you can create and create with the love of God. But now you have a country like Denmark 
that has is proud to announce that they have 100% no children being born with Down syndrome because they abort the babies before they are, have a chance to be born. And, and it is such a shame it's, and it's such a sin. It's, it's sickening. I mean, um, people wrote to us, of course, they don't realize what they're saying, but they'll, they've, a couple of them have said that, you know, now that Grace is in heaven, she doesn't have Down syndrome anymore. And I, I personally believe that, you know, this is, you know, obviously not true, but, I mean, it's just a picture is that everybody in heaven has Down syndrome because it's just, it's beautiful. <laughs> Grace is as beautiful as as you remember her, and she will be exactly <laughs> who she has always been. And anyone who says that has no idea about God's grace and what, what to expect in our continued life. Oh, man. It, it, that's, that's, I'm sorry, that's just pure ignorance, and I, I apologize for you having to endure that. You know, it's, it, it, it's not a burden. It is a gift. Oh, it was an un- unbelievable gift. I can't believe we were picked to, to have her. Yeah. Now, when you caught COVID, uh, you went to a different hospital in Wisconsin, and they took a completely different way of treating you for COVID. It was more homeopathic than with all these protocols demanded by the CDC and the NIH and all the other alphabet soup medical organizations out there tied to federal funds. Uh, what did they do with you that was so much different and was so much better? Well, you know, first they had the right perspective. They chose to follow the Hippocratic Oath uh, as opposed to getting paid off with government bonuses to accomplish an agenda. So, you know, the first thing we already talked about, they they asked for my perspective, and I asked them about the alarms, and they respected that. The next morning, a nurse came in with a little pill container, and this will really give you a perspective. She said, um, I want to go through the pill regimen with you. I said, well, what do you have in there? She said, well, I have um, a probiotic, a multivitamin, vitamin E, uh, vitamin, uh, vitamin E, vitamin D, and fish oil. I said, what are you talking about? You guys don't believe in those things. And she said, well, we do here. And at that point, I thought, I'm going to make it. That first night, I just about died. Well, on top of that protocol, they gave me budesonide treatments. And then when the doctor met with me, he told me about a drug that he liked to try. And then I researched the drug uh, with a doctor friend on the outside and came to the conclusion that we wanted to try it. And so then they did that. Well, I was turned around in 24 hours. And then when I wanted to get home, because, you know, Jessica and Cindy, my wife, were planning Grace's funeral. I need to get home. And, you know, it was premature to check myself out of the hospital, but they even respected that. So I was I was out of the hospital in four days. So it was just because, a completely uh, different attitude. Well, I also remember reading that they gave you zinc and vitamin C, uh, which helped bring you around, too. Now, C is huge with the immune system. Uh, matter of fact, when COVID broke out, um, my husband, my late husband now, um, and I started our own vitamin regimen after I did some research. So every day I take a C immune, which is a powder with additional uh, B vitamins and stuff in it. Um, I take a zinc and I take magnesium and potassium. And I haven't even caught a cold, which is amazing for me. I usually end up with one at least one every other month. But... Uh, 
doing stuff as simply as boosting your immune system can do so much good that even probably if I was exposed, I may not catch it. Or if I do, it would be very mild. But these are things that people don't realize. I, I agree. I mean, it's not too hard to to uh, to find this information if you're willing to look. But most of the population, this is maybe the well, it's, it's the second most surprising thing I found with COVID is is how dumbed down our population is. You know, the things that you and I are talking about right now are you know obviously we know and we're awake, but very few people really understand this or have their arms around what to do and what's happening. No, they'll, they'll put the mask on while they're sitting in the car all by themselves <laughs> as they're driving down the street with no one else. I, that, that, that that floors me. Every time I see that, I just shake my head and going, unbelievable. you got the windows rolled up. There's no one else in the car with you, and you've got a mask on. Really? <laughs> really? I, I, but then I you can't it. fix stupid. The sad thing is, is that, you know, these... I, you know, it's sad. I mean, this our attitude has got to be one of forgive them, Father, because they do not know what they're doing. Um, because it is, it's, it's crazy. I mean, we we've got to realize that we'd be in the same boat if it wasn't for God's grace. Yeah. You know, the, what can this? hospital, as you, I asked you, will be prosecuted, but what happens when you have um, the medical malpractice? Is the doctor now immune from any, anything you go after him for? Well, that's the thing a lot of people really have no clue on. So what the, even before COVID, the, the, lo, the doctor lobby groups have got the state statute set up in their favor. So in Grace's case, Grace was an adult because she was 19. So the typical way you sue for medical malpractice is called loss of companionship. By state statute, there's no loss of companionship because Grace was an adult. And so then the next claim is under um, a medical malpractice claim, which has a $750,000 limit. Well, that might seem like a lot, but the way the state statute is written, the attorney can only get a third of that. You can't even sign it all off to them. Well, a medical malpractice case only has a 1 in 10 chance of winning, even in a slam dunk case like Grace's is. So attorneys don't want to take the cases on even before COVID. And then you add COVID to the mix, and they have immunity from liability under the PREP Act unless you can prove gross negligence, which, of course, in Grace's case, it's pretty obvious it's gross negligence, but the reason it's hard to prove is because, you know, you take Ascension Hospital System. That's the hospital system Grace was killed killed in. They have $30 billion in cash reserves. So they can parade experts in to contra- contradict what your experts have till the cows come home because they have an unlimited money supply. And so if you just process that, that's why it's very hard to win a medical malpractice case. You know, we believe God's behind us, and you know that's that's why this case will be successful. Yes, you know, um, there's a lot of articles, and I'm glad to see a lot of them were up in the Epic Times and Life Site News. Uh, 
carrying following the story and what you went through. Um, and they ended up because they put her on these drugs that suppress her respiratory system. They then put her on a ventilator, but if they had stopped the drugs, her respiratory system would have recovered and she would not have needed the ventilator, which then led to making her death more swift. Well, Grace was actually never on a ventilator. That's really a unique piece of this story. They pressed us for a pre-authorization or pre-approval on a ventilator five different times. We rejected that uh, because we knew a ventilator would kill her. And so our belief, and this is speculative, is then they switched to this end-of-life care and DNR in order to take her out because we weren't agreeing to a ventilator, which, you know, a ventilator, the push for a ventilator is not for the patient's health. The push for a ventilator is because the hospital receives approximately $300,000 once they convince the patient or or their advocate to put them on a ventilator, and we rejected that. Scott. Well, go ahead, Curtis. Scott, this is the co-host. Yes. A lot of a lot of people during the years of COVID um, suffered um, alienation from the fact that um, when they had relatives in the hospital, they weren't allowed to see them, especially some who were close to death. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Because, uh, I mean, that upset a lot of people not being able to be there alongside, you know, their relatives that were pretty much in a lockdown situation at these hospitals. You know, my thought on that is it was part of the whole setup. So if you look at, they took Grace out while we were there. So multiply what they did to Grace by 100. That's what they're doing when you're not there. So you've got a combination of immunity from liability, which I already mentioned. You've got bonus payments by the government, which are on average more than $100,000 bonus payments on top of the regular hospital insurance that they receive per COVID patient. And then you have the shroud of secrecy from not having the family there. So that combination is something that only, that's a temptation that only the most godly of men could overcome you know they've set this up to accomplish the agenda you know there's there's a lot of money tied to these medications and vaccines and it's all starting to come out and people are are, are absolutely stunned um there was a report that uh, one of the vaccines was held off just prior to the uh, 2020 elections to make the Democrats look better because now here it comes, the Democratic president in the White House, and we come out with a new vaccine. There's a lot of funny stuff and money's being shuffled around, and vaccine mandates paid off big for these drug companies, uh, making billions off of you know, us with these mandates, which we're now finding are starting to be tossed out of court. Uh, the court's saying no mandate, no mandate. Now, um, looking at some of the reimbursements the hospitals get, too, and there was an article up on The Blaze by Horowitz, and you mentioned a figure of how much they got, but for the Remdes... Remdes I can't even pronounce this name. Remdes, Remdes, Remdesivir. 
Thank you very much. It's uh, $600 reimbursement per patient. So if you have, say, 10 patients, it's $6,000 a pop. Um, then there's the Medicare outpayment. Uh, hospital incurs like 30000 in costs. Uh, in other words, under rules, the hospital received 80% of the cost of that 30000 Um Medicare will share in 65% of the first dollar losses uh, in reimbursements up to the 30000 threshold. Um, I'm looking at, for the COVID treatment exceeded the MSDRG payment by 100000 the hospital received 56000 because the Medicare formula is 80%. Um, let's see now, Medicare also shares 65% of that. And this is a lot of money that that the hospitals get. So it's a golden ticket for them. So you've got the drug companies making it on one end with the vaccine mandates. Uh, you've got these other medications that really are not curing COVID, instead making the patients worse, like that Remdesvar. Um drug this is a huge huge golden egg it's not just a golden egg when i keep saying the agenda it's it's literally it's they've used that that money incentive to accomplish literally killing people the the stats on a ventilator are a 90 percent kill rate and the 10 percent who walk out of the hospital alive most of them die in the first year after they get it out of the hospital. Remdesivir has a 75% kill rate, three doses and more. The United States only has 4.5% of the world's population. We're the only country that is using remdesivir as a treatment protocol. We're the only country with 1 million deaths related to COVID, and yet we only have 4.5% of the world's population. So we're leading the charge with this worldwide agenda which, you know, to connect the dots further, I I have this on Grace's website, but, I mean, there is an agenda called the sustainability agenda, and one of the key tenets of that is worldwide population reduction, and the United States is leading the charge. Well, coming out with the vaccines, we are now learning, yes, there are cases of infertility in men and women after taking the jab. Um, There are side effects that are killing kids under the age of 13, uh, but 13, for some reason, 13 to 20, you're fine. Uh, but after that, you are subject to severe side effects. Um, I have a friend of mine lost his 10-year-old grandson, uh, I believe, from the jab. The kid was perfectly healthy, and yet he dies from uh, a heart condition that just suddenly appeared yep. out of nowhere. Uh, we're finding all different things. I've got a very dear friend of mine. He took the jab, got COVID afterwards, but he has a huge lump in his one bicep where they jabbed him. And what it's doing to our bodies, we don't know. There was no long testing period like we had with polio, uh, malaria, or uh, measles, chickenpox. There was a long test period where we knew what the side effects were and what the percentages were. There was none with any of these vaccines. And that is really scary because now we're finding out what is in it and what the side effects are. The thing is, is the people in charge of the jab knew what the side effects were beforehand. We're just finding out now. 
and you know they had the whole propaganda machine going that created such a fear that people could hardly wait to get jabbed without any testing whatsoever as you as you just pointed out this is so analogous to the Holocaust that we did uh, a lot of research in June and started doing joint interviews with a Holocaust survivor. We have that link on Grace's website under the Holocaust connection and you'll start seeing side by side how what happened in Nazi Germany is being repeated today. It's literally, it, it's coming to life right in front of our eyes and people are not are not awake to it. Well, you have a link to a movie called Sabina, uh, Tortured for Christ for the Nazi Years. Um, Tell us about that. That movie is about the attitude of forgiveness. And it's a wonderful movie. That that lady was able to um, take in Nazi soldiers and with an attitude of forgiveness, which that's really what we've all got to have here to be able to to make it through this you know this world is is a result of rejecting god and one of god's primary attributes is forgiveness and so that's what that movie is about well i'm recommending people to go to your website ouramazinggrace.net um we're having we're finding out how these vaccines are being made and a lot of people have a religious uh, objection to taking the jab. Uh, it turns out that, yes, we are using fetal uh, uh, stem cells in these, in these vaccines. So here you're trying to keep your faith, but you have a government crossing the line between church and state and now demanding you to do something against your faith, violation of the First Amendment. Well, they're violating uh, the entire Constitution, and it's it's really no surprise because they don't they do not see that as important anymore. The agenda has become more important than the rule of law, and so everything we're seeing should be no surprise if you're understanding uh, what what they believe in. Yeah, because there was an article. I'm trying to see where this heck this was now. <laughs> A uh, campaign life coalition about a woman that said she was pro-life, she was pro-life but, now, but now someone's got a speaker on. You're an echo. Oh. What the heck happened here? What the heck happened here? We got Friday the 13th times two. We got Friday the 13th times two. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't touch anything. I didn't touch anything. Curtis, did you do something? Curtis, did you do something? Didn't do it. Didn't do it. Try this now. Try this now. No, it's coming on mine. No, it's coming on mine. This is funny. This is funny. I don't know what happened here. I don't know what happened here. All right. All right. All right. There's only one thing I can do. There's only one thing I can do. Are you still there? There we go. There we go. There you go. You're back. Okay. I don't know what's going on here. And I still got an echo. I still got an echo. So it's something on my machine. Something on my machine. 
Curtis, take over for me for a second. Let me figure this out. All right. All right. Wait a minute. I got. Wait a minute. I got. I got. Man. But anyway, Scott. Anyway, Scott. Um. What kind of support are you getting? Of the sources. Of the sources. Outside of family. Outside of family. Um, the, it's, it's interesting. The web of people who we've met through this have been absolutely outstanding. Uh, I couldn't have more support with all the new people that we've met. Uh, they are very interested in, in Grace's story. They, many of them have become friends. And so it, it's been, it's been wonderful. You know, I'm, I've, because of those people and their interest in Grace's story, I believe that roughly, uh, somewhere 30 to 50 million people have already heard Grace's story worldwide. And, you know, we were, of course, want to get everybody to hear it, not not just because of my daughter Grace, but because we we would like this to stop. We really would like this hospital behavior to stop. And, you know, through Grace's story, people are are learning that the only way that you can really stop any type of behaviors with a heart change, and that can only be through being submissive to God. That's true. That's true. Um, and what about politicians in your area? Any support from them? Support from them? No, no support whatsoever from politicians, but I was really not expecting it because it's an election year. So this story is it's pretty wow. risky for them to to get involved with. Oh, well, let's see if this works. Well, let's see if this works. No, I got an echo again. No, I got an echo. Let me again. try something else. Let me try something else. All right. All right. Wow. Wow. Now, now with with COVID, with COVID Say like in the state of Florida, kind of like behind us. There are states that are still kind of like holding on to the mandate, and the especially the mandate of vaccination. Do you see this um, COVID COVID situation ending many times soon? I believe they want to go on forever. I believe it absolutely will go on forever. I don't see it ending at all. I think it's going to get substantially worse. And I believe that because it's exactly how Satan operates. You know, so we've got a a big segment of the population that will do anything that the government says. And so now that they've done this and starting to get exposed, I mean, the next thing is going to be food shortages, a financial crisis, and ultimately – what I believe will happen is Satan will then come in as an angel of light. That's what God says he's going to do and provide yeah. Yeah. a security and comfort solution that will will do most of the rest of the population. And, you know, that's that's what his goal is. He wants to steal souls. And so however he can do it, either with these crazy mandates and COVID or with security and comfort, uh, he's going to do it because anything he can do to take our eyes off of God, that's his, his job. Now, there are 
people out there who are saying that the next step is to put chips in us. Put chips in us. Do you think when that day comes, when that day comes, a lot of people wake up to the prophecies of the the chips and the six six I don't know that it's going to be that obvious. I know a lot of people have attempted to connect those dots that it's going to be that obvious. And if it was, I think that, that people would wake up to it. But, you know, I don't know that God's, God's um, way is exactly that obvious. I mean, he obviously says the mark of the beast in the Bible, but the mark of the beast could be a, a lot more subtle and worldwide than how people think of it. And, you know, it, it says that we're going to need the mark in order to buy and sell. And so if that mark becomes a new financial system, that could be the way that it's, it's introduced. And then people are not wise to the, that they're taking the mark of the beast, where the mark of the beast is, is really believing in a completely different satanic system. And that is true. And that is true. And I say that because they have been wanting to get rid of paper currency for decades. For decades. And going digital. And you hear a lot about Bitcoin, things of that nature. Things of that nature. And I'm dubious about that. And think about another aspect of it. If they combine it with the introduction of the new worldwide currency with worldwide debt forgiveness, um, that would dupe a lot of people. You know, they're already toying with the idea of student loan debt forgiveness, but what if there's worldwide debt forgiveness? Everybody's got a great reset back to zero. You know, that would be be welcomed by just about everybody other than the discerning Christian. And that's true. And that's true. And, and as and you stated and earlier, you stated earlier, I think these things think will, these be subtle, things will be subtle um, in, their implementation. in their implementation. But it's going to take but us, going to take us, those who are aware, of, who these are things, aware of these things, to sound the alarm. To sound the alarm. At the appropriate time. At the appropriate time. Which is more sooner than later. Sooner than later. I, I agree. I mean, that's why I'm really glad you asked the question. I mean, I've been, when I have the opportunity on these programs now, I've been sounding that alarm because it's part of what I believe God wanted me to learn in Grace's death. Is And then, you know, once you learn it, and if you're given the platform, you've got to share it. And we've been given the platform and, you know, that makes it a responsibility to share it. Well, and that's true. Well, and that's true. I, I don't know what's going I on. I got kicked off of the regular host the number, regular so I'm coming back in on the backup number. And I'm still getting an echo up from Curtis on your end and on mine. So I'm afraid that we may end up having to end the show a little bit early. But Scott, tell people but where they Scott, can find you and how they can help you and, and what they can, they can do. And what they can do. And what they can do. And what they can do. Sure. So then um, 
we get you can find us at ouramazinggrace.net and there's ways to contact us uh, through the website if you want to help we have uh, a how can you help tab and there's a give send go we also have our mailing address there if you prefer to send a check um, the um, the thing that I would leave everybody with is that we all are responsible for our one talent and you know so not everybody's going to have the same opportunity that our family's been given, but you still have an opportunity. So, for example, if you hear this show and you do nothing with it, you you didn't do anything with the one talent that, that God gave you. But you can share this, this podcast, this show. You can share Grace's website. Uh, you can share the truth uh, because there's there's a real need right now. And we're going to have maybe the most hungry time ever in the history of mankind to share share the gospel. So it's a, it's the time of your life to be grounded in your faith. And that's a huge amen that's to that. That's a huge amen to that. People can find you People at ouramazinggrace.net. Our and, and Scott, God bless you and your family. God bless you and, and your family. And my thoughts and prayers are my with you. My thoughts and prayers are with you. Well, thank you very much for having me. This was a very nice program. You you both did a, a nice job hosting. Yeah, we got to so have much. you come back. Absolutely. That would be fantastic. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, Scott, you have a blessed Scott, day. Enjoy your blessed weekend. Day. Enjoy your weekend. All right, same to you. Bye. All right. All right. Curtis, uh, I'm still getting an echo, and I don't know how this, the uh, – the sound's going to come back on, and I got kicked off of Skype completely. So uh, I guess that's all we got for today. Uh, we have next week Fred Lucas from the Heritage Foundation. Um, we have uh, Tim uh, um, Bach Tapscott from the Epic Times. He'll, they'll be joining us. And who else did we just move over to next week? Oh, hopefully uh, Jeffrey Birment, Birment will be uh, well enough. His COVID took a turn of the worst. He's the founder of Tusk. So hopefully we'll have him back on next week also. So until then, I want to thank everyone that joined us. And Curtis, thank you for, you know, stepping up to the plate. But I don't know what the heck happened here. Okay? And you, and you notice there's no echo anymore. Yeah, that's strange. But in the interim, Skype kicked me off and I couldn't come back on. So I I'm going to leave everyone. Hmm. It's possible. Well, I'll leave you uh, with Amazing Grace. Nope, wait a minute. That's not what I want. Oh, here we go. Um, where was the one I normally pl- Oh, here it is. When the Rolls Called Up Yonder. We'll leave the show with All that. Right. And until then, I say good night and God bless. And we'll see you same bad time, same bad station next week. Nice. Good night. <laughs>
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.